and we're live. Andrew, how you doing? Howdy, Caleb. Good to be here. That's going to be a lot of fun. Talk about the Bible, talk about paleo, praxia, and this, a bunch of stuff. I got to say, I love the term. It's, yeah, me too. I, 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 labeled the epi- I labeled the episode the uh, Catholic Praxian episode. So well, That's good, yeah. I, I just see the uh, notification now. All right, well, I think we have already shared it, so we're good to go. Oh, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, you're Catholic, right? Yeah, I'm a Catholic. Nice. Cradle or a convert? A little bit of both, but, you know, cradle mostly. It's like I, I went to a, a evangelical school, you know, and I, ha- I got a lot of evangelical influence from, uh, you know, from them. So mm. it's like I, I, came, I came out as like a weird hybrid mm. of, uh, you know, uh, evangelical, like Church of Christ type, and which is mm. not that different from Catholic, but there are some, you know, significant differences. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, I taught myself apologetics as a reaction to the evangelicals <laughs> and, uh you know, I became super Catholic for a while, and then I like, okay, you know, these guys are actually pretty good compared to everything, at least compared to the Democrats. And yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. so it's like yeah, I, I find a lot in common with them now. And I uh, used to, yeah, I didn't like going to that school back then, but now I'm like, oh, I need to send my kids to like the same <laughs> same kind of school. Mm. Actually, that was actually pretty good for me. For me, and nice. I don't have kids yet, but I'm going to. And nice. you know, my wife and I have agreed on that already. So. That's nice. Yeah, I was um I was homeschooled from like first grade on, but for my first like kin- uh, pre K kindergarten all that stuff, I was in a Lutheran school. Okay, it's it nice, beautiful, beautiful place, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, um, Lutherans are pretty. They're pretty yeah. Catholic as yeah. far as Protestants go. Way better than Calvinists. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's a low bar to yeah. say the very least. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I basically came. I went to Catholic because I'm like, I like science. I think evolution and Big Bang theory makes sense. And all my Protestant friends were like, Oh, you're a heathen. You believe in the ace, you believe in the devil now. And what's with Satan? It's like, uh, no. I was one of those for a <laughs> while. So <laughs> it's like, I can't judge too much. But now eventually I kind of grew out of that. And I, and I realized, yeah, you know, that the Catholic interpretation of, you know, inspiration of the scriptures, mm-hmm. you know, makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And definitely. yeah, I mean, there, it's just so much more rational and consistent with you know archaeology culture history you know and just the bible itself yeah definitely it's i gotta say like that was one of my big things like uh catholic's interpretation of scripture i was like okay i don't have to it's not science or it's scripture i can do both that's nice yeah it's uh yeah, well, I, I mean, they, they usually fit together really, really well. Yeah, unless you can ham. It's like once the more you learn about like science and geology and and you know and uh, natural phenomena, the more that you like uh, you see that stuff actually in the Bible. Yeah. And it's like usually when they're like talking about an act of God or something like that, this is actually a natural phenomena that we see, and you know they're really rare natural phenomena, but. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, but what what ends up being miraculous about it still is that how did they know ahead of time? Yeah. You know, it's like, because, right. you know, like with Moses, you know, it was, it was the uh, eruption of Santorini that caused those 10 plagues. But how does a shepherd from Midian who's, you know, how does he know ahead of time and know exactly what to do in order to, you know, free an entire nation from slavery? You know, that's, uh, you know, from like the most powerful government at the time. And you know, how does he know exactly which plagues are going to come in what order and all that stuff? And it's just like boggles the mind that, yeah. you know, something like that could actually happen. <laughs> and, you know, that same, uh, you, you know, we actually found Santorini ash at the pr- particular layers 
where we know, you know, in, in Egypt where, okay, we know like this was Santorini that caused this. And you see, we've actually had the, in 1984, there was a, an, another like repeat of the same event, hmm. you know, where like the, there was a, uh, you know, you had like the first like few plagues come right back because it's a geological phenomena. I bet and, people are freaking out. I bet they're like, this is it. This is it. Yeah, I mean, you had like the, you had like the you know river of blood and all that, where the, you know the, basically it was you know carbon dioxide and the water that came up from the ground because you had like some major earthquakes that unsettled it. And that's what and basically it turns red and it looks like blood, and that kills off yeah. You know, but because of that it takes all the oxygen out of the water and the fish can't breathe anymore, so then the fish start dying. That there's <laughs> that and that that was what happened with the beginning of the first plague. So the fish are the natural predators for the, you know, for like all the, the uh, mosquitoes and mm -hmm. tadpoles and shit like that. And, but, but the, uh, you know, those tadpoles are, you know, they can't drop, jump out of the water. So they die, but the frogs can jump out of the water. So that's the second plague. It's the old plague of frogs. <laughs> they jump out of the, they jump out of the water, you know, and onto dry land, but eventually like they can't go back. So they, they end up dying. Then they're, you know, their rotting carcasses are, you know, really good food for all of the uh, flies. And by the way, that the frogs are also the natural predators, along with the fish, for all the uh, you know mosquito and bug larvae. And now that you have uh, basically, they can uh, you know reproduce uncontrolled, you know, because they're not getting eaten anymore. And now they have a whole bunch of rotting flesh right there to eat. To, you know, so it's like it, it compounds upon itself the whole time. Yeah. And then you know you get the then you get all the boils and stuff because you know these things bite you and they carry diseases that you know cause that. And yeah, you know, and then you go all the way right up to the, uh, the the like the plague of the firstborn, which is like a carbon dioxide wave, and you suffocate in your sleep. And the reason it was only the firstborn is that they had you know Egyptians they would you know prize their uh, you know their their firstborn sons, and they would give them like a really special bed, you know, kind of right down that's low on the floor, and everyone else had to kind of sleep you know wherever you wanted to. Yeah, you slept mm -hmm. sleep. Yeah, sitting up or you slept on the roof usually or something like that. And but because they were right there, those firstborn sons were right there on the ground when the carbon dioxide is coming through, they suffocate in their sleep. <laughs> and that's the and so you you see stuff like this, but it's like what's miraculous is like how did Moses know that this was all going to happen in advance? Yeah. I mean that's the. I mean, the, there's no. I mean, the, you you wouldn't ever think think through stuff like that. And yeah. again, that same that same sequence of events happened again in 1984 with Lake Nyos. If you want to Google Lake Nyos 1984, I think was the year. That's the, you know that I had the same exact sequence of events. I'm gonna look into that. Yeah, I mean, it's like freaky as fuck. It's like rare geologic phenomena. It's like stuff like that. And mm -hmm. then you're like, oh, he got like a. Uh, you know, a vision from like the acacia bush or something like that, you know, like the burning bush, which, you know, carries a lot of DMT in it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you know, a lot of times with DMT, you meet like a, a, a like a spirit person and he tells you all this stuff. And yeah. it's like, okay, so you're telling me, a spirit, you know, you, you, spoke the, <coughs> you spoke the bush and the, uh, and it told you all the, all, all the stuff that was going to happen in the future. And it worked out exactly as it said. And, <laughs> you know, it, it's like, I want to know everything about that bush. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, and it's like, like you know, but people, then these atheists will come in. They'll see like, oh, well, look, we have a scientific explanation for it now. Like, you're making the problem worse for yourself. Yeah. It's like, it's like that, that. That's that makes the problem so much worse, not better. It's like the fact you have a an actual natural explanation for it. It's like, you know, you were better off having the argument of this thing was entirely made up in a myth. You know that it just yeah. never happened. It's just a myth, and it's all someone, you know, someone dreamed it up and just wrote it down, and then you know somehow convinced millions of people to believe it. Who yeah. were, you know, obviously were there and could have known. Oh, no, that didn't happen. And oh, it's like those, um, those uh, make those uh, 
people who like claim like uh like these like people who claim Jesus was never real or what he's saying, people who claim art yeah. was made up and stuff. There's an exchange between one of the atheists like that and, and William Lane Craig, the mm-hmm. uh, part and the guy is saying that I don't believe there's any good evidence for the uh, reappearance of Jesus Christ and all this stuff. And and um and William Lane Craig said, uh, it doesn't sound like you're saying there's a lack of good evidence. It sounds like you're saying nothing would convince me. And I get to determine what's good evidence. And he said, no, that's yeah. not true at all. If I if I went outside and I saw uh, God speak to me and say. Go to church on Sunday. I would go to church on Sunday. Like you say, you wouldn't say it's a hallucination. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not, exactly. It's just, like, it's just, it's great. And a lot of people that like they will, uh, you'll say it's like <laughs> stuff like, oh, well, it's like, you know, you go in and you meet this like this uh, DMT spirit or whatever, mm-hmm. and clockwork. You know, yeah, and like like or this like spirit of light or something like that that you know mm-hmm. like Graham Hancock has talked about and stuff like that, and people are like, well, I believe it's a hallucination. I'm like. Well, okay. If you if you can look that in the if you as an atheist can you know look in the face of what you know basically it's a spirit that you you know it really loves you it cares quite a lot about making you a better person <laughs> and you know and you know it basically fits the description of God you know yeah. as it's described in you know multiple religions and so if you can take one look at that and say ah I think it's a hallucination that was just like chemicals in my brain and all that it's like all right you're a true atheist there's nothing that could possibly convince yeah. you it's yeah, like you're just gonna up. like yeah, you're just like if you had a vision from God, you would just, you know, go and say, "I, you know, I need to go to a mental hospital now." You wouldn't be convinced, and th- yeah. you just don't want to be convinced. And you know, it's like, okay, fair enough. If you know that's if that's what floats your boat, but you know, let's not pretend this is a, a position you really reasoned yourself to. to yeah. And maybe, maybe you did, but at the same time, you know, if like if you know you can look at like what looks like direct evidence and just be like, nah. It's like, well, okay, you know, yeah. evidence and reason aren't really the thing for you. Yeah. How old are you? Because you're like uh, really smart and really like, like seem like set up I am 28 right now. I'm about to turn 29. Okay. Okay. Good. So, like, I was what are you going to say? I'm 22. I'm going to be like, fuck, I'm behind. <laughs> yeah, me more there. Okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, how far? Uh, why, why? How old are you? Uh, 22. Okay. All right. So I, yeah. was, I was like, Sometimes I talk to these people and they're like, like they look my age and they're still talking about the jobs and career. I'm like, I only took two years off. I took a two-year gap year. I'm like, I'm so far behind. Okay, uh, right? It's like, I, you know, I see these uh, other people and I'm, I'm like surprised that they're all in like their 30s and 40s because they all look young and they seem yeah. and they sound young. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, ah, I sound just like these guys. And, you know, except they're all much older than me. I'm like, wow. Yeah. But that kind of fits me. I always wanted to be like, you know, with, with the older kids and the and the adults, I never yeah. like sitting at the kids' table at family dinners or whatever and Thanksgiving. Wow, it's like the adults are talking about like religion and politics and culture. Like these are interesting subjects, and mm-hmm. like the kids are making fart noises with their you know with their armpits or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. I you know I don't want to sit with them. You know, I want to yeah, sit with I the mean, adults. I, I live in Florida. The people, the kids, kids down here are stupid as hell. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, they're yeah. stupid everywhere. Stupid everywhere. But Florida, Florida people are like, especially in Polk County where I'm at, exceptionally. Oh exceptionally yeah <laughs> yeah oh, yeah as like you know i was in hillsborough for a while mm. and uh so that's like that's kind of like right next door yeah and it's like yeah you guys are uh yeah Hope county the... is peak florida in my opinion yeah like, it's, it's peak it's, florida. yeah it's peak florida mm-hmm. yeah it's god uh pokemon when it came to covid i don't think any county was more like lax like bato uh, for example mm-hmm. there was i didn't see i didn't see one math for six months it I was could believe lax, it. Lax as fuck. I, love I it could here. believe it. 
It's like, I, I, and I, I bet, like, didn't they, I, I seem to remember, like, didn't the Polk County Sheriff come out and say, we are not enforcing that yeah. or something like that? Yeah, yeah. that he was, the, he was that one. And uh, he was like one of the first in the nation that we, we are not enforcing that here. It is not with the constitution and we not and, do that. And by the way, I'm not making fun of the accent. It's like, that's, that, you know, that's actually like my, my old accent is, you know, <laughs> used to be like that. I, I trained myself not to speak that way. Hmm. So yeah. And yeah. Yeah, it, it will come out, you know, naturally a few times. My wife thinks it's uh, you know, sexy as hell for whatever reason. <laughs> she, Han Chinese. And she finds a Southern accent really, really attractive. Uh, don't know how that worked out, but it sure, it works. <laughs> like she, she she loves it when I talk when I talk with my southern accent. <laughs> but uh, that's it. He's he's a weird one because sometimes he's great and like on COVID stuff, he's solid. On okay. anything else, like like we had four people uh, stand in front of a road in Lakeland. He locked the entire county down with a seven o'clock curfew, and it's like it was four people standing in a road. Like they blocked traffic. We put a curfew. Like it was in Lakeland. I'm in Bato. What the fuck are you doing? It's like no that, yeah, here. that was like the the one Black Lives Matter protest or something like that. Yeah. Oh, I was, remember that. Yeah. That ridiculous. I, that's my <laughs> only problem with the guy. See, it, like it looks like any chance just to snap and go lock down. He's the only, like, he's a weird one. Huh. That's uh, that's very strange. Hey, let me be right back. I forgot my water, and my mouth is gonna get really parched really <laughs> quick if I don't go grab it. No problem. And uh, I can give you a little, I can give you extra time. I can go for like two and a half hours today or something like that if you want. Ooh, I don't know if I can go that long. All right, I'll be right back. Mm. What up, chat? Rob, you still here? Gold guy, rogue. How's it, how's it going? You guys still here? Say something to chat if you're, that is a big ass water bottle. You. My apologies, I'm back I and... You engineer, you engineer types. And we're after the races again. You engineer types with your big ass water bottles. Yeah. I swear to God. I, I went, my friend went to a Polytech in uh, Polk County. And I walked around there. And I swear to God, it's like the palest, skinniest motherfuckers with water bottles out of backpacks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the amount of caffeine and, uh, you know, like smart, dr- you know, smart drugs and supplements, well, not drugs, but supplements I take. You know, it's like I get dehydrated really quick if I don't, uh, you know, drink at least a gallon. And mm. not to mention the exercise and stuff. It's like I need it. Yeah. <sighs> so let's talk. Let's talk a bit more about this praxian thing. Like, what? Okay, how how do you define praxian? I saw one tweet was like man, manarchism <laughs> plus anarchism. It's like how do you define? Praxian? Yeah, it, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a paleo libertarianism. I, I I view it really as a much much thi- you know you have like kind of your thin li- libertarianism and your thick libertarianism and you have variations of thick. I view uh, Praxian as a very, very thick version of, of paleo-libertarianism. Mm. So basically, that's the right-wing version that is very traditional and cultural. And I put it in with a, uh, you know, the difference mainly is an archotropism-based praxis and a Christian hierarchy of values. And base, and uh, really, it means that lo- you know, Christian love, which is distinct from secular love, is at the top of, of our value hierarchy. And mm. that, you know, the understanding of archotropism and its incentives, because that's based on economics and praxeology, really, yeah. is uh, that's how we're going that, yeah, that's how we're going to apply our paleo-libertarian ideas. Mm. And, you know, really, we're not we're not that different from like you're like a Dave Smith. We're really not. Mm. And we're not quite we're not like a Yarvin. We're not neo-reactionary. But although we definitely take a lot of uh 
you know, a lot of thoughts from Yarvin, but yeah. you know, the, uh, I, I, but when I talk about like Praxis as like the, you know, the, the Praxian equivalent of Ancapistan is called Praxis, mm. you know, that's the, uh, you know, that would, I would differentiate that from like the, your standard Ancapistan as like, it's going to be a mixture of mostly Yarvinian, you know, private states. And then, like to a lesser degree, you know, anarcho covenants, and to an even lesser degree, you know, just straight up private property. And but all of it really is private. All of it is like one form of private property, you know, government and order. Yeah, and yeah, but that yeah, but it's going to be mostly private states because people want a government, and that's the, the central problem at yeah. the heart of archotropism. Which and archotropism, archotropism is telling you why this this thing exists or like yeah. why that demand exists and it's not going away and it's like the that's the main problem it's not really an argument for minarchy mm. it's a it's a uh exp understanding of why we have one in the first place yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know because all government is minarchy yeah. <laughs> everyone you know wants a you know minimal government <coughs> and, and that, that is the, the um People want to stay in the state's going to be around. Like a lot of Christian anarchists love the quote Samuel 1 8, you know, about the, mm -hmm. how God it. And like God told him how that was going to be, and they didn't listen. You know, yeah. and Dave, Dave Smith is a great guy for convincing people, but he's not God. You know, well, like, I mean, it's like that, you know, that the even like the, you know, the, the, the guys and judges, you know, like they were, they had an anarchy for 400 years and they had exactly like the sorts of problems you would expect and that we always get criticism for, you know, those that uh, old uh, th quote that, uh, what was it? You know, criticisms of anarchy are descriptions of the status quo. It's like, well, okay, that, that's not quite true. I mean, these guys had one invasion after another. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, they got invaded 16 times in 400 years and were successfully taken over, I think, six. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was not, that was not, uh, that was not good. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's the whole reason they went with the king is like, hey, get, you know, in 1 Samuel 8 is, uh, you know, they, they said, hey, give unto us a king who will fight our battles and be our judge. Because that was the other problem was that there's, you know, not really a good judicial system ever. No, I've been making this point a lot. Like justice systems are fucking impossible to make. Yeah. There is no easy way to do it. And that's why people criticize me for being like anti-death penalty. I'm like, guys, no matter what we do, it's going to suck ass. I yeah. just don't think we should kill people for our failures to do anything good with this. I mean, they, you know, the only one to even had that had like remotely good results was like the uh, the Genghis Khan uh, strategy for uh, you know criminal justice, and that was you know all, you know very one size fits all, so to speak. <laughs> and it's like anything that goes wrong off with your head, and you know, and it was said at that time that in the uh, in the empire of the Khans that a virgin could walk uh, with a you know by herself you know, from one side of the empire to another with a pouch of gold on her hip <laughs> and arrive with both her virginity and gold intact because the, uh, no, no one wanted to touch you. Cause if you, if you, uh, you know, you know, the penalty is off with your head and yeah. it's like I the only one, that's the only one that's actually shown any sort of real yeah. reduction in crime. And, you know, it's like, well, okay, but the penalty itself really should be criminal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, um, on that point, like walking across, like uh, we had. You ever see a story that robot? They made like a hitchhiking robot from Canada, mm -hmm. made it all the way across Canada, got to America, got beat the fuck out of it, and like within ten minutes, like immediately, oh. yeah, made it from all the way, all the way to it. Canada. Got to, I think it was, like they put it in Detroit. It started in Detroit for some stupid reason, and it just, mm -hmm. just got destroyed. Yeah, I believe it yeah. for sure. <sighs>
No, Inoc- uh, I always, always want to pronounce it anarchotropism. I know that's not what it is. It's archotropism. Archotropism. I, I got to use the same anarcho before everything. Yeah, I know. A lot of a lot of anacaps, they immediately want to put the an in front of it. Yeah. I'm like, nope, it's not an. I wish. <laughs> Boy, would that be nice. <laughs> that, yeah. that, I would consider that a good problem to have instead of mm-hmm. like the problem we do have. Hmm. How does he come up with it? Because that's a very, like, very great way of like looking at things. Like, how does he devise this? Uh, it was a, a, you know, a lot of prayer and meditation actually, but, you know, re- but really it was, you know, a, uh, I really wanted to understand the left because I, I, I'd always noticed, cause I have the, I, not to brag obviously, but you know, I, I do have like a, a self-awareness or, and a humility to me where I'm like, okay, if all of these millions and millions of lefties, they're all seeing the same thing of like this. Of, of value they're, like their value it, and it's clearly there are tens of millions of, of them that they all have this zero sum fallacy and it's and they're sure of it that was the thing it's like they're sure of it and, and i'm like why is that and I, I could tell that like they're seeing something i'm not seeing and and i realized that I, and that was what i realized it's like i, I had to look, like really have empathy to like, it was like weaponized mm. autistic empathy of figuring out how to see the world through their eyes. Why is it that they see? Because, you know, that was another thing is like, they clearly really, really, really understand power mm-hmm. and why, you know, how it works and why, and its incentives. And it's like, it, it makes sense because they have just an unbridled love for power. You know, as like at, at every turn, they know exactly you know, what to do in order to get more power. And they will always behave that incentive. And that was another thing. It's like, I noticed people behave their incentives, not their ideas. They do not Mm -hmm. behave ideology. Most people are not ideological thinkers. And that the reason for that is Darwinian in in, uh, nature, because if you don't behave your incentives, that you don't do the things that reward you, you don't reproduce, you know? (laughs) Sorry, that's not going to work for, that's not going to work for you. Ideological thinking is anti-adaptive. By, by nature so that's it why, why it explains why i'm single yeah well i, I wasn't going to take it there but you did <laughs> but anyway but yeah people have their in, their incentives and they behave that because that's what they're evolved to do and clearly that you know they're all seeing uh, you know all of these tens of millions of lefties they're seeing an incentive system that i'm not seeing and clearly i'm seeing something that they're not seeing you know which is like the economic value system and i really wanted to understand why they were thinking the way they were thinking and you know eventually like using weaponized empathy you know a lot of prayer a lot of meditation it finally came to me to me like you know i you know that oh you know i got like the first and second uh, laws where i i got them in that order i i, I named them in the order i got them which was mm. like you know, the, like the conservation of power is really the conservation of the value of power because all of this is based on economics, mm-hmm. you know, in a perverse and fucked up kind of way. <laughs> and the, uh, you know, that this, uh, you know, archotropism, it starts off with, you know, the, the first law is that, you know, the, you know, the value of power is always conserved. You know, I, I'm paraphrasing right there, but basically that's the, the reason why is that, you know, when I'm going at you and I want to take your, and I want to take your stuff, me taking your stuff has value to me, me controlling mm-hmm. you and making you like my, you know, like mind control or whatever, or just, you know, with a gun, you know, forcibly controlling you. It's like, that has value to me because I'm getting you to, to uh, do something I want you to do. So that mm-hmm. ought, though, just ontologically, you know, that has value. 
So, and, and you can immediately see that has value. So that's, so it's like, well, what kind of value does that have? And basically it's, it's a, uh, you know, it, it is a, a bit of a risk reward. So if you think, if you, I don't know if you ever played poker, you know, you, there's like the, the EV formula. I don't play poker that much. <laughs> Oh, well, okay. There's a mathematical formula you're supposed to use when you're playing uh, poker. It's called expected value. And, and that's the chance of the chance of winning, you know, multiplied by the amount you're going to win minus the chance of losing multiplied by the amount you would stand to lose. And that can make, you know, mathematically inform you, you know, whether it's a good bet or not, whether it's a good risk to take or not. And the, uh, it sounds like Konkin's algorithm saying about like, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly mm. the formula. It, the, the name of that formula is expected value, and right. and so you can look that up on the inter, on the internet, and you basically that's that's how you mathematically uh, gamble uh, mm. is based on expected value. Anyway, but so you know the it, because it's a risk reward trade off. Because well, okay, what you know my my ability to force you to do something like hand me your stuff is relative to your ability to you know defend me off or defend yourself from me. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you are like the, basically that's why I like, you know, when a criminal is out, you know, on the prowl, he's looking for like the old grandma with a purse, you know, that, that, that he's going to snatch. He's not going to like go after the cop, yeah, you know, and because it's a risk reward trade-off, you know, what, you know, like there's very, much lower risk on the old grandma than there is for the cop, you know, and, and like the cop might have more value in terms of technology on him, but he's a fucking cop. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah it's like, that's, that's a problem. He's armed and dangerous and he knows how to fight. And there was like the old lady, you know, you might, you know, sneak up behind her, grab her purse and run off. And you know, it's like maybe she'll pull out a gun, but you don't know it and doesn't look like it. And she's, you know, kind of slow. Maybe you can get away from her. And, you know, it's like, oh, she might. And like the most she's probably going to do is call after you like, oh, stop, thief. It's, it's like, but yeah, that's the risk reward. And th so the uh, basically, if you were if you're a predator, you are in set, you know, the more, you know, the pathetic and weak the victim is the more likely you are to go after them. And you see this all over the place. It's like, who gets the worst treatment from, you know, the government? It's the poor people who also yeah. gets the, the same people also get the worst treatment from the criminals <laughs> for the same exact reason. They're both predators. Mm. You know, one is the public predator and the other is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, more uh, uh, a free market market entrepreneur criminal, <laughs> yeah. if you want, if you will. And, it, but, uh, you know, be, and, you know, as a uh, Misesian, you should notice that immediately is that, because the way that uh, a Misesian will look at the law of demand, you know, in regular mm -hmm. economics is that, you know, your highest value, uh, you know, uh, you know, payment is what you want to do first. It's like, you know, it, you know, you always prioritize, you know, your most important things and then go down the slope of, to, to the least important things. The highest priority things are the ones you're willing to pay most for. And they're the ones you do first. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get that downward slope in the law of demand. And then the law of supply is just the opposite, where the more you're willing to, you know, pay me to give you something, the more that, uh, you know, I want to supply it to you. And that's why you get the upward curve of the law of supply, you know, and talking from Keynesians, you know, because mm -hmm. they have like those curves and, and all the math and that's a bullshit way of doing it. But, yeah, you know, it's like you can lo logically explain this to yourself. And so when you flip over to the incentives of archotropism, you know, basically this is the law of pseudo demand, you know, it's, it's your, it's my second law of, uh, you know, it, it's the second law of, uh, archotropism is basically the law of, it's, it's the predation equivalent of the law of demand where mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, the, the, the second law is that, you know, the, uh, 
the power uh, seeks to consolidate itself from low concentration to high concentration. And you know, predation is defined as the consolidation of uh, power. So, but then the reason for that is basically the strong prey upon the weak. No duh. Yeah. And but and the reason for it is because that's the risk reward trade off. You know, you don't have a weak person that wants to go prey on a strong person. Yeah. Uh, because you know they can't. You know, the risk reward trade off is all wrong. You know, you're mm -hmm. going to lose way more than you stand to gain. And you know, in terms of your in terms of your chances, it just doesn't look good for you. So yeah. and so by na by nature, it's always going to be like a downward slope. And the and the left sees all value this way. And when you understand that that's their mindset of this is all predation, they they only see the value of predation. They do not see the value of production. Mm -hmm. And when you and when you're actually producing new value, that that to them looks like inflation does to us. So like when they're printing money or, or something like that, we see that as devaluing all of the money we had previously gained for ourselves, which is tr uh, true. But when we pr produce new value, they see that as us, uh, you know, trying to consolidate power away from them because, you know, they've already worked so hard to consolidate all this power. Now we're producing new power that they have to now consolidate. Mm. And that's the that's their problem is that, you know, to them, you know, to us, or I should, yeah, really to them, <coughs> production looks like predation. And mm -hmm. when you understand that they see the world entirely this way, it's like, it's like, it just, it, it, the, you, you understand exactly why they do what they do. And, and you can logically predict what they're going to do next. So like, if you're in the, uh, so like I mentioned earlier, you know, humans are really, really good at behaving their incentives. Well, okay, if this is the only sort of value they see, then this is what they're going to do. And because this is that it might as well be the only thing that exists to them. So if you, if you're, uh, you know, back in, you know, to, you know, the early 2000s, you know, you have the neocons who uh, make a uh, really just a bad decision to lie the whole country into war. Mm -hmm. And the left sees that immediately as an opportunity to expose the lie and gain power from it. And that's exactly what they did. They exposed all the lies. They took power in 2006 and 2008. And then when, once there was no more power to be gained by opposing the war, they stopped opposing it. And they started six more or uh, <laughs> you know, four more, I should say. That's and, what I want to hop on real quick because um, libertarians really hate the right. And they say all the right is still neocon. Yeah, it's, like, that, they're, not, they're not right. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not right at all. It's, it's yeah. And it's, it's really, it bugs me a lot because, like, you point out uh, libertarians need more empathy because so many of the modern conservative white people were all lied into sending their kids off to war. You know, yeah. not, and uh, you said also I always thought it was true. The left's really not anti war, they are anti -war they're not for principle. They're pro power. Yes. Like, like, I, this, I was thinking this, and you said this, and we were both like proven right with Tosi when she did that whole like, we still got to do with Zim Tang's wars, but only yeah. in the right places. Like, it, it proved you right. Yeah. And you, you see it that, you know, once there's no power to be gained from that, they pretty much stopped doing it. Mm. And, you know, they, like they stopped opposing war. And the reason was because Obama, it was because Obama got elected, but it had nothing to do with the color of his skin and not being yeah. able to criticize him. It was because they got the power they, they, that there was to get from that. Mm. And it's like there was no more power to be gained from opposing the war. Yeah. And it in fact, why... there was power to be gained from, you know, starting a few more wars because now you have the military industrial complex on the Democrat side. Yeah. And that's what that's what happened is that that's why they started a few more wars. <laughs> it's like now it's their turn, and they got yeah. the power from it. You think that's also why it's made the left is all about this like um 
the LGBTQ black community woke stuff is they could use that for again they probably use it for ease of power. Uh, well, yeah. Well, what it is 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 you're making people weak. So remember that risk reward mm -hmm. trade off. You want to go yeah. after weak people, so it helps you out to have an entire population of weak people who can't defend yeah. themselves because they have too much mental illness or whatever. Which is exactly what that trans shit is. It's like you're abusing children sexually from well, the time uh, they're see, like five. See, hold on, of course hold on now. So I think the trans ideology is weird because there are trans conservatives. That non-binary mm -hmm. is just not weird because there's no there's no non-binary conservatives. Mm -hmm. That's my that's my metric for this. This is more of a joke. I think it's all made up. Okay. The, the joke yeah, I, is. Well, yeah, it's like like this is the sort of thing they're trying to get to. Uh, cr create the conditions that make a mental illness a whole lot more likely and it's easier mm -hmm. to predate upon a mentally ill person than it is a you know mentally healthy person you know all and uh you know they do this all you know the same exact pattern of behavior everywhere is they're doing whatever you know uh, you know whatever would make sense as a predator you know what kind of environment would you want you'd want a bunch of you know people that were easy to prey upon that were dependent on you that you know could you know same thing like with the homeless industrial complex you know mm -hmm. like you're giving them needles to shoot up with you're giving that you know it's like yeah. and uh, you know you're just giving them food and not making them change the lifestyle you know any addiction counselor would take one look at that and say you're enabling them yeah, like, that's exactly what's that's exactly what they're doing. And, you know, it's meant to, you know, it's like the, they have these kind of latent inst instincts for do what, you know, makes the problems, uh, you know, worse for humanity to uh, do the things that exacerbate the human condition, because this is what's actually good for, you know, predators. This is the value system they see. So whenever they see a whole bunch of new, uh, you know, mentally ill people created, they're like, Goody for me. And they see, yeah. and they see that, you know, their action is what did that. And them as predators see that's good for me. I'm going to behave my sentence and continue doing it. There's nothing to do with, they have no compassion at all. These are evil people fundamentally, because that's this is the way. only value they can say. You might be the only person I've had on besides Jared who hates the left more than I do. <laughs> like it's, it's great. Well, he's it's a only... reasonable moderate in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I love doing this because like I am surrounded by most of my friends are all, all college age people and they're so fucking left. Like yeah, one of my friends is I'm a libertarian and he goes off about positive rights and I'm like you're not a fucking libertarian shut the fuck up. No, it, man, it's, they it's, don't understand that. Yeah, but, yeah, it, it's so quince. That's another thing right there is that you know the reason young people are so. I mean, this is another thing I, I find with uh, my archotropism theory is that, you know, the third law will predict, you know, well, what's it based on your time preference for uh, for power and predation, mm -hmm. you know, what your you know, political leanings are. Are you, you know, left or right or libertarian? And, you know, and the, and you see this, like, why are so many young people so far to the left? Well, that's not young people are much higher time preference. Because that's mm. evo that's evolution right there. You know, your babies are like the most high time preference. I want it right now. I'm gonna scream and cry and shit my pants until you give it to me. And you know, and because that's ev that's evolution. That's that's what you know makes them survive. They're not like mm -hmm. uh, you know. I'm not crying, so you'll give me my bottle later. <laughs> it's like I'm sorry. That's I want not, I want it now. Yeah, and that you know they have no concept of deferral of gratification and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's something you learn as you become an adult is how to do that. It's like one of the marking indicators of you've become an adult is you know how to defer gratification, and the and you get better at that the older you get because you have a wider uh, you know understanding of time. You know, like mm. the amount of time you've lived is much longer. So if like it, you know, it's like if I have to wait a month, 
you know, it's like if I if I'm 18 years old, a uh, one month is actually a fairly substantial amount of the time I've lived. So I'm gonna, you know, in terms of you know how much it's hap uh, how much I'd have all of it, I'm gonna value it quite a lot more. So I'm gonna want things a whole lot sooner, just because mm -hmm. that's the only you know understanding I have. I don't understand what it's like to have lived decades and decades. Yeah. And, you know, again, like, again, as time goes on and you've had more of it, it means less to you even, and, mm -hmm. and you actually get more for it, but you're able, that's mainly because you're able to start deferring gratification into the future and like through savings and investment and, uh, you know, over you know, under consumption, over production and yada, yada, yada. But that, but, you know, and as you get older, you know, you get to be a lot more low time preference. And that explains, you know, why people tend to get a lot more right wing as they get older. Hmm. And again, this is all in, this is all behavioral economics and behavioral incentives. People behave their incentives. They do not behave their ideas. And that's yeah. why spreading the message is going to be really difficult <laughs> because yeah. the, the, the message really isn't the problem. The, the, the problem is these incentives that, pe that are rewarding people and they're evolutionarily wired to behave these incentives. I have two more questions before I get into talking about the book. Yeah. One, you get a lot of hate on Twitter. Why do you think that is? What you're talking to me makes perfect sense. This mm -hmm. is economics. This is behavior. It makes sense. This is basic, not basic. This is necessity in economics. Why do you? My theory is because you're an engineer, and engineers whip everybody the wrong way. Uh, my theory about it is that you know I'm kind of uh, being the heretic, and these are this is an anti-heresy mechanism because you know again that you know politics is religion, you know, and people just don't like to admit that. Yeah. And and what you know what I'm getting caught up with you know I don't really get that much hate I get some but you know they but it's really from like the the lolberts who've kind of listened to ten minutes of me and they think they understand it and yeah and really this archotropism is like at least a th at a minimum it's a three hour discussion and you probably need to listen to it multiple times yeah and, I know I've had to I still don't get it yeah it's a completely different way of thinking because you you know you as a libertarian. Yo, know, you do not see that value that it, man, it might as well not exist to you. It's kind of like, you know, trying to tell an atheist that I've seen God. And it's like, it's like, I don't see him. Where is he? Yeah. Uh, he might as well not, not exist to them. And yeah. And uh, yeah. And it's a, it's a no see him problem. You know, no see them, you know, no see it's a no see. Uh, and uh, I don't see it. So it doesn't exist to me. And, you know, for, for you and me and, you know, natural libertarians and, you know, a lot more uh, right-wingers, we just don't see the value of predation. So it, it might as well not exist to us. And for lefties, you know, on this, uh, you know, by the same token, they can't see the value of production. So it might as well not exist to them. And it's really difficult for, you know, people to just imagine that these things exist and use their intellect to, uh, you know, to get kind of fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and since most people are two digit IQs, you know, I mean, I'm yeah, sorry, they're not, gonna, they're not going to, yeah, they're not going to, uh, they're not able to do that. And so now that, you know, these uh, religious libertarians or these, uh, these theocrats, if you will, <laughs> they, I know it's going to piss them off, but mm -hmm. these theocrats, they can't see the, the you know, the uh, economic incentives I'm talking about, and they get pissed at me for saying that they're there. Yeah. And yeah, and that we actually have to deal with them instead of yeah. ignoring them and sweeping them under the rug. And yeah, and I really feel like that is actually what's happening because I, I do criticize Rothbard a little bit for that yeah. and Hoppe too, to like a very small degree, because it seems like they understand that this thing is there. And like Mises, you know, 
you know, the, you know, him, to, like him too. Like they've all like walked right up to the subject. It's like you're clearly about to make the right, you know, uh, you know, argument here, but then they just take a left turn into the wall, and yeah, yeah it's a NASCAR reference, uh, or actually, right turn into the wall because they drive left. But the uh, I ain't that kind of Florida. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a little further to the north in Daytona, so mm -hmm. uh, north and east, so where you are. But uh, yeah, that, it's like that. They clearly, uh, you know, like your Mises, Rothbard, and Hoppe, they clearly all understood that this thing was there, kind of, but they never dove into it yeah. uh, because they're like, "Well, we're free market guys, so we don't we don't talk about that." Obviously, I'm mm -hmm. like, "Well, it kind of you kind of need to though." It's like does that that's the whole reason that thing is there is the entire problem. You know, you you would think that if you if you're talking about what a problem the state is for the free market. You would try to at least try to understand the incentives of the state. You know, know thy enemy. I yeah. mean, it's just basic common sense, but they didn't do it. <coughs> and so, like, what the what the hell, man? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And the uh, and so, like, when I'm like kind of like putting myself, you know, because I'm now I'm, you know, they're gonna get mad because I'm putting myself in the same category as like Mises, Rothbard, and Hoppe, which is like okay, I, as like and I understand I don't quite belong there. They've done a lot mm -hmm. more work than I have. Ben, I've kind of just like, hey, this is that one part, the other one third of praxeology that you guys are kind of ignoring here. And, mm -hmm. you know, we really shouldn't ignore that. And like, shut up, shut up, shut up. It's mm -hmm. like, we're right about it. It's all, all we have to know is we're right. And just repeat these, you know, tired mantras that don't yeah. work and are actually kind of counterproductive. Good ideas don't require force, man. Does he know that? Property uh, doesn't exist either because of that same incident. Yeah, property doesn't require for. Oh yeah, it kind of does. It in does. order, to, in order <laughs> to defend it from the left. Yeah. Yeah, that that's one of my points I made. I, I kind of like I'm still I still I still call myself an anarchist because I don't have any as a better term besides I guess praxian, but no one knows what that is. Yeah. Um, is that my dog is fucking losing it over there. Um, I can't hear anything, so you're good. Oh, good, good. Uh, the left are gonna be around, and the left is very universalist. And if even if you got your there's no difference between the right and the left, Caleb. Yeah, I'll say we're we're the third leg on the stool. Yeah, it, except there's no not. difference between the first leg and the second leg. So no, exact same. Yeah. Yeah, they're and all the same. As long as the left exists, they're, they're very universalist, and that unless you're ready to fight them off or find some way to deal with them, you're not going to keep it around. Which is why I, I I say the best kind of anarchism is uh, Ayn Rand's uh, go. I always, I always forget John's go. Yeah, that that was the best way. Uh, People were there. It was defended. It was hidden. That's like we need. So people need to start rethinking how we're gonna. What anarchy is gonna look like, honestly? Because it's not. Yeah, if it's never, I mean, never achieved. It's not gonna look what they think it's gonna look like. Well, it's like thinking, you know, there's a pet. You know, we're going to uh, imagine that you know you're gonna have a bunch of sheep, uh, you know, and a bunch of dogs are gonna you know live peacefully together right next to a pack of wolves. <laughs> it's like um. Uh, no, no, that's not that's yeah. not going to work out. It's like the wolves have got to go. Like they got to die, or, or, you know, or they at a very minimum they got to be physically removed or put in cages or something. Because like, yeah. like this is not in their nature to be productive. And it's like yeah, they 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 have this weird idea that you know, it's like oh, imagine we're all like you know animals and what well, we are, but you know, I, imagine we're yeah you know, the uh, you know it's like the, they think that the left you know who are like the the, the natural predators because they see the value of predation this is what they're specialized for you know all humans are you know specialized for some sort of work you know or some sort of, some sort of value extraction again because this is how we evolve this is how we reproduce and it just so happens that the left are you know specialized for predation and they're like tigers and it's like 
um, you're not going to put like a, a, a harness on a, you know, on a tiger and make it like pull the cart behind it. Hmm. That's, that's not going to work. That thing is going to do its very best to chew its way out of the harness and then maul your ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, a, just saying, oh, well, the left needs to go get productive jobs instead of being, you know, government workers all the time. It's like, well, uh, <laughs> they, they don't see it that way. And, you know, it's like, and they're never going to, because again, they can't see the sort of value that libertarians see. It's impossible for them to see that. And short of a, short of like a true genocide that like just wipes them all out. And so where they never reproduce and, you know, as like everyone, everyone age of 18 takes a political compass test. If you get the wrong one. That's the problem is that, you know, most 18 year olds are still very predatory because they're very high time preference. So it's like, they're going to fail as like, and it's like, well, there goes your later generation. And it's like, what you really need is some way to, you know, you know, teach them low time preference from like the time they're five Mm -hmm. and really, really, really well. And even then it's like, it's still a tough thing to do. And by the way, this is what, you know, religion is there for good religion. Like Christianity teaches you to, you know, store up your treasures in heaven and in practice, what it actually means. A second question I was going to ask is that my friend uh, based Hoppy on Twitter said Protestantism is high time preference. Catholicism is low time preference. I don't know what he, I kind of get what he means, but I don't understand time preference nor I'm, I'm only been Catholic for about seven months. So I still don't fully understand. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm so very you're not cradle Catholic at all. No, no, I am very recent. Oh, so where, yeah, what, what's your background actually? Uh, uh, Pentecostal. You okay. know, uh, I'm not yeah. terribly familiar with that. No, uh, you know, you know, you know, you in Florida, you know, a family worship center, family worship center, and that big mega church with the Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went there for my whole life. Oh, okay. Yeah. I yeah. went there a few times, uh, with the, uh, you know, with some friends. That's a really nice place. Oh, yeah. It's great people. Very nice. Yeah. Absolutely. People. Yeah. I, yeah. I have, yeah. Yeah, but I'm trying, I, uh, to, trying to remember the pastor's name. Pastor Wednesday. Wednesday yeah, yeah. Great yeah. dude. He, he retired and his son took over. And his son, I got my, I, I left the church because uh, it was after, after uh, Trump lost that Wednesday night. He did a sermon on Romans 13, and oh, I was, I was peak and cap at that moment. Uh, and so I kind of fucking, I, I walked out mid-service, set up a meeting with my local priest at Saint, uh, Saint Aquinas and Bato, and I emailed him and had a giant email debate with the pastor. I, I yeah. my biggest flaw is I never leave anywhere peacefully. I leave everywhere if my middle finger's up. That's a that's a bad that's a bad habit. Yeah, it, really, it to, really is. I know. Yeah, that's a really bad habit. You should not burn bridges like that. That's no, like I, yeah, yeah that's I was a, young. I was yeah, young. I get it. I get it. It was, it was eight months ago. I was young. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, but but yeah. but yeah, I know I know what your friend means by you know high time preference, time preference, low time preference. Uh, I might disagree a little bit. Yeah, yeah. that but. Uh, one is a you know very very self focused, and the other is very community focused. Mm-hmm. And when you're naturally community focused, you're going to be a little bit more low time preference because again, you can't force people to do anything where you can force yourself to do anything. And yeah. you know, like with you know with, you know with other people, you kind of have to go persuade them, and that takes time. And you know, you can't just you know go order them around. But when it's only about you know when your religion really is only about yourself and God. Uh, then you know you don't have to you know wait for anybody, and you can just you know right yeah. there. That's all. It, and I don't need to understand you know two thousand years of holy tradition that is there to 
inform you and give you a good context, you know, for what you're reading. It's like, it, but you know, I can just take my current context and go straight to God and understand I mean, this, it. And, now, I knew a guy who would, uh, on. yeah, I don't see the house. My ass can't, oh, I lost it. I hate it when that happens. I have it's needed right here. I fucking oh, that's the worst. It. Um, no, I know a guy and he would, uh, take a Bible and every Sunday he would compare what the pastor said to the Bible to like check him. I'm like, oh, cool. A Bible you see the message. I'm like, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> Go and grab the message and just compare everything the pastor says and be like, I, I can interpret it. I, I, I think it's a shit for this. I've, I've said, uh, the root of all Protestantism is arrogance. And yeah. Two guys, two guys looked at everything and said, no, I know better than left. And then, uh, a good example of this is uh, in the center of the stage on a Catholic church is the Eucharist. <laughs> and on the center of a Protestant stage is the guy with a Pope and an iPad. Yep. It's, mm-hmm. Really tells you the difference. Yeah, and so many parts is like they they go where they feel like uh, they agree. They don't adapt their views to what the church teaches. They 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 find a church to match their views, and it's like that's not. That's it's exactly the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Because again, good religion is supposed to make you know you know put you know push you to be better than you actually are. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know it's trying to you know it's trying to push you to have the 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 one kind of incentives, which is like Christian love incentives. Christian love is actually like the most ingenious concept anyone has come up with in the human in all of human history, and it's juxtaposed right next to the archetropism. You know, it's just like the it's like these are the two basic incentive systems of reality, and you know, well, it, there's like kind of two and a half because you have secular love, which is kind of a different thing, but it's it's not it's it's a lesser version, but we've had it for it's the one we had for you know hundreds of thousands of years and we kind of got christian love you know in uh the anarcho covenant we're going to talk about mm-hmm. you know that was like the, the you should love the lord your god all your heart soul mind strength and you know basically that allness is the uh you know that's the basis of selfless love right there mm-hmm. so, and the the selflessness of you know christian love is what turns it from a reciprocation function where you're kind of you're you're keeping the same amount of value just circulating and it turns it into a maximization function where you're actually creating more and more and more and more. And this is like the basis for our entire economic system is more. And so when you understand that Christian love comes along and then you get all of human progress, you know, after hundreds of thousands of years of nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> or virtually nothing. And the, uh, it, it kind of makes <coughs> sense because, you know, this is the, the, the selfless kind of love is what creates more. You know, more wealth, more everything, more people, and the uh, I mean, this just wasn't done back th- back then. And this is why it's I mean, it's like the most brilliant concept we ever come up, came up with. And also, unfortunately, caused quite a few problems or exposed really. It didn't cause them, but it exposed them. And uh, like the uh, like monarchy has uh, several major scalability issues. Once you get to have a, a more wealth in your society it can't scale upwards very easily because again mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you have one guy who has to make all of the laws <laughs> it's yeah. like i'm sorry that's just can't, you can't you can't do that well and that's going to create a lot of inefficiency you also have the uh you know, the scalability problem of you know it's like you, you have to physically control this area and now you and now you can have industrialized warfare and all and all that and just it, it, it doesn't work you know mm-hmm. with it only works with less and so now, you know, what? well, okay, now when you start producing more and more and more and more, uh, that your monarchy can't scale. And mm-hmm. republics can. They, they can scale upwards virtually infinitely, which is a big problem because they're horrible. This is why, <laughs> this is why you get big governments with uh, republics mm-hmm. and you get small governments with monarchy because monarchy can't scale that big. Yeah. It just physically can't happen. 
<laughs> I want to ask you about uh, Rogue Coyote says, we need to start building cathedrals that take generations long. I agree with that. Speaking of cathedrals, uh, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is like one of the things the left did so well was take over all institutions of education. They just took over everything about teaching. And my favorite person on earth is Thomas Lorenzo because he was the only guy who stayed in colleges and taught Austrian economics and that kind of hmm. stuff. He would teach a, oh, he wrote uh, The Wheel Lincoln. Uh, he's a he's a okay. fellow at the Mises Institute. He's coming on a podcast. I'm super excited. Um, he would find out what the left uh, professors were teaching against capitalism and would teach a course called Capitalism and its Critics and counter all the talking points. Oh, that's clever. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's coming, he's coming on a podcast. Something like that. He's coming on a podcast specifically to talk about like how to be a professor in the academic and stuff. Because my strategy is college. Soon, the government's gonna start paying for everybody to go to college because they're gonna start paying everyone to go uh, get in, get an indoctrination camp. Mm-hmm. If they do that, and we get enough like uh, hardcore like libertarian Bessian people who can learn the actual stuff outside of it, it's like me to see you and that kind of stuff. The government's gonna fund people going in and taking over these institutions. If we can get the white people inside. Government's going to pay for it. Mises Institute will teach it, and we can just take over the institution. So that's a long generation plan. But uh, I mean, I would you know, shorten that up quite a bit and say that, you know, with, with the uh, school district, you know, that public school is like, you know, <laughs> it's designed to be an indoctrination center. Um, they, mm-hmm. you know, the only problem with that is like they're indoctrinating kids into like Marxism and, you know, all this shit. Yeah, that, that's just not true. What if we, you know, uh, switched that around and made it, you know, teach like Mises and Rothbard? Mm-hmm. What three books? What if you could add any three books to the recommend to the uh, reading list for high schoolers? What three books uh, would you add? Socialism by Mises, Anatomy of the yeah. State by Rothbard, and Democracy: The God That Failed by Hoppe. Those are mm. like very introductory works that you know you'd be pretty okay with. And I, I was like, yeah, we can soci- con- continue teaching socialism in schools, you know, just by Mises <laughs> instead. <Yeah. laughs> I, I would probably swap out socialism for economics in one lesson by Hazlitt. That like, yeah, I'm, that's another pretty good one. As it, as it, I didn't think about that. I, I started reading socialism yesterday. It's it's great. I love I love Mises. He is so much fun to read. Just He's a, so much fun. Far more of a status than the <laughs> than the caucus that bears his name in the LP, which very yeah. interesting. Is that there really are the Rothbard caucus, not the Mises caucus? Yeah, but, I, I, don't, I do find a way to name of Mises because they're all about they're all Rothbardians. Like I don't know a single yeah. guy in there who's like a Misesian. All... Yeah, these are not Misesians. These are Rothbardians. I mean, you really see it like with Rothbard and his. Uh, I mean, not not Rothbard with Mises. Like like uh, this. You know, Mises his, his politics were very different than Rothbard's, and they were very much more. Uh, in line with what you might find in Mises GOP, which was, uh, you know, kind of understand that this thing is here and we kind of have to deal with it as it is. We can't just say straight up abolish. And, you know, you know, you know, Rothbard kind of took a lot of uh, the work of Mises and then just like really radicalized it. And, yeah. the, and the opening problem- to the opening to Mises, the last night of liberalism says uh, Mises was a giant and his students took it too far or something like that. Our students would fall than he would. I, like I believe that. Is- yeah. Well, and you know, he understood the incentives of it. Uh, it seems like he really understood. He he definitely understood the incentives of archotropism. He never quite talked about it, but you know, it's like, but you do see other things where, like, he he would talk about like how you okay, you have because the state exists, it has its own in, inbuilt incentives, and it will naturally attract like entrepreneurs for like the military industrial complex, mm. and you know, because it's there providing value. People and even if you say this is evil, and he basically says we can't just call this thing evil and give it moral condemnation or whatever, because that's not going to make the problem go away. 
He's like, moral, pro moral condemnation is not going to make this problem go away. And that's exactly what your, like, your LP types really want to do is just morally condemn people, you know, call them blood yeah. monsters or whatever. And yeah. that just doesn't work. You know, it's like you actually have to deal with the incentive. If you want to join take us, you got to repent. They make fun of all the Tradcons. They're like, go repent of your liberalism. And they turn around and say things like, oh, if they want to join us, they got to repent of their neocon ways. Like, there's no neocons left. There's like five. Yeah. All, there's five electors, a bunch of electors, but it's like five voters who are still neocon. One of them has been Spiro. Yeah, pretty much. And you know, a lot of and a lot of like regular conservatives, they're constitutional conservatives, which yeah. are very different. And they're, like they're the Limbaugh types. Russell Limbaugh, Russell yeah. Mm -hmm. He's oh, I love I love Russell Limbaugh. Uh, and I used to listen on radio when I was driving around. I got my first call, drove over listening to Russell Limbaugh and Saul Hannity. Oh was, man, I I tried calling into Rush Limbaugh so many times while he was live. I never <laughs> got past the business signal. Oh, that's so sad. I was so sad, but uh, I really liked him. Yeah, but uh, he, had, was, he had a way of just pissing off the left. It was beautiful. Yeah, I, I he knew like exactly so what to it. say, uh, you know, in order to get him. And uh, oh gosh, uh, uh, you know, got rest in peace, Rush. Rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we've talked about a lot of things. Oh, I wanted to ask about the Mises GOP a little bit. You got that up and running yet? Like all the details finalized? Or uh, we're we're having some problems with bureaucracy, uh, but I think we I, I think we're we're going to be applying to another fundraising. We got denied with our first fundraising place, and it felt mm -hmm. very lowest learnery, where they gave us no explanation of why we got denied. And they're just mm -hmm. like our risk assessment team has looked into you, and we don't like. And uh, uh, we've chosen to decline to do business with you know Mises GOP. I'm like, why? What do we do? And it's like, uh, uh, and anyway, they, uh, yeah, it's like that uh, we got nothing from them. So, mm. we, you know, we, they, you know, they, Anadot told us nothing about why they refused to do business with us. And we, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to try to find an, uh, another fundraising, but right now we've got like, we've got it set up. It's a real super PAC. Now we have a bank account open. We have all of our paperwork filed with the, you know, with the state of Florida and all that. And, you know, we just need to, you know, have a, a, a vehicle for raising money. Mm. And, you know, right now we don't have that. So I, I, I just like, what am, what am I to do with this? And, you know, the end. Uh, so we're going to try another. We're, we're trying another one. And, you know, we're waiting to hear back. So mm. that's but that's that's what that's that's where that is right now. But once I get a fundraising vehicle up and running, it's like I'm going to have over a thousand dollars in donations just right off the bat. Yeah. And there are a lot of people who've just been asking me like, Hey, when can I give money? And I'm like, I, I have to tell them no, which like is really goes against my natural instincts of sign <laughs> here, you know, deposit it here, giving the money here. And, but after that, we're going to be get you know, getting going and have quite a few, have a very, very different thing, st strategy than what the LP is doing. We're not here to take over the GOP at all. And we're you know really focused on you know local politics instead yeah. of national politics. National is the time. They've already decided who wins the next four elections. Pretty much, <laughs> it's, it's it's over. I actually I have a bet go with my youth pastor that it's going to be Kamala or Michelle Obama. That's my pick. I could believe that. I could yeah. definitely believe that. That would make a lot of sense. I mean, that, you know, Biden came out. I mean, actually, I think it was Kamala actually who came out recently and said we have to implement the Obama agenda. <laughs> <laughs> As like she literally just came out like a, like a few days ago and said we're implementing the Obama agenda. Like really, you just like say it like that. <laughs> it's like yeah, you know, way to just admit it. You're not you're that you're, you're you said the quiet part out loud. Yeah, so it's so it's so funny. They don't care anymore. Like they just don't care about. Like, 
They don't care. And it's fun to mm-hmm. see the mask drop, but people also just support, they still point at hypocrisy. And it's like, no one cares about hypocrisy anymore. Stop it. Yeah. Uh, oh, you got a question for you. What does Andrew think about the Roman Empire's influence on historical Christianity around the Constantine times? Andrew, you have anything to add? Uh, Constantine, well, I'm basically, you at this point in time, you had had the, you know, the Roman Empire was really starting to degenerate. It started to degenerate really quickly, like mm-hmm. right off the bat. And the, uh, but, uh, you know, and Constantine was in the, like the uh, early 300s, where, you know, ba- you know, he had, you know, kind of recognized, he was like the first, you know, Roman Empire to really <laughs> recognize that, hey, you know, this uh, religion, Christianity that's spreading like wildfire across my uh, empire is actually making the, the people a whole lot more easy to rule over. <laughs> and they're ma- becoming a lot more productive and really, t- you know, like I'm end up th- throwing my best citizens to the, to the lions and crucifying them upside down and torturing the death and boiling them in oil and acid and all of these other really, really creative and terrible way to, ways to die. Mm. And you're doing this to your best citizens instead of the worst ones. Yeah. Like, uh, that, that, that's, that doesn't make sense. And what, and he realized that that did not make sense and that it'd be much better to, uh, you know, hold these guys up and, you know, make that state religion. Because if you're a monarch, you know, having a low time preference form of government actually works out really, really well. I guess, again, there are scalability issues there with mm-hmm. monarchy. And he's basically an emperor, which is really more like a dictator. You know, he was a lot more like a dictator than a uh, than an actual hereditary king. Because, you know, a lot of times when the emperor died, you know, it's like uh, it wasn't his kid that replaced him. Mm. Like that didn't happen. And the reason for that is that you, he just didn't have that much consolidated power. But, you know, if you but if you want to, low time preference is the way to go because again republic is a much higher time preference form of government mm-hmm. and being dictator of that is like the highest time preference form of a republican government so it's actually quite a lot different than a hereditary monarchy it, just in terms of its incentive but if you're trying to go from one from dictator to king you really want to have a lower t- time preference for all your people and and particularly for the aristocrats who are the, like your main competitors and the uh so he puts up this, you know, ultra low time preference religion, Christianity, you know, as the new state religion to try to re- re- not just like civilize the people, but really civilize the aristocrats who are like the guys who really want the throne. Mm. And so that was his incentive for that. And, you know, that uh, ended up uh, degenerating kind of quickly. You know, it didn't work out initially. This And, uh, you know, because what you got something called a Caesaro paper papism, you know, which is the, uh, you know, Caesar was uh, appointing the Pope and they mm. were kind of, and the uh, Christians and were kind of upset about that because back then it was only Catholic, you know, re- it was really just yeah. only Catholic and you had some, you know, heretical offshoots that, you know, just didn't work out and they all, they all died off. Uh, yeah. they're not, there are some that are still around today, like the Arians, you know, and like, they, I think they're the Coptics. Mm. We, we call them Coptics today and they're in kind of like North Africa, but that's it. And, mm. but, uh, you know, eventually that Caesaro papism was what divided the uh, church in the, uh, early like 1000s in the great schism, you know, mm. cause that was the, uh, that was the main issue why, you know, Greek or, uh, or Eastern Orthodox and Roman North and, you know, Roman apostolic, mm. you know, split off was that, Hey, you know, w- we have this uh, relationship with the state and, Eastern Orthodox didn't want to have that relationship with, with the state that thought this is not good. This is not you know, healthy for us. And, you know, the, uh, you know, this is like really perverting the incentives of our religion. 
and you know we're getting and this is not going to look good for for us down the road and the uh yeah and the uh you know romans were on the other side roman catholics were on the other side saying that well we tried we tried the whole not being involved with state thing and it got us slaughtered for 300 years so it's like you know and uh yeah there are some perverse incentives but it's it's a trade-off and you know you gotta mm-hmm. make, make a value judgment here based on what's most important and you know i guess they ended up going their separate ways over that over that one mm-hmm. and you know today eastern orthodox is like 300 million people catholics are over a billion and mm, i don't know it's like i kind of think that having that you know it, it makes sense to try to civilize the ruling class because oh, yeah. if they're not civilized uh, this, could, this could turn really bad for you really quickly. Because again, remember that second law of archotropism. Now you have a whole lot of really uh, good, uh, productive people. It's like saying you have a whole lot of fat calves. You know, it's the way the mm-hmm. wolves are going to look at it. Do you want the wolves mm-hmm. to be civilized and be like sheepdogs protecting the, the the lambs, or do you want the you know? And by the way, the the, the really really delicious looking lambs, or do you want them to be like just regular wolves and eat them? Because that's like that's like the other option. It's like we can try to civilize these wolves and turn them into sheepdogs, or we could just like not civilize them and they're wolves. Mm-hmm. So like, wh- you know, which is it? They, you know, it's like, and we don't we're, we're lambs. We don't really have that ability to kill them. So mm-hmm. it's like that. You know, that you know, you, you can't just say, oh, we'll shoot the wolf. That, that doesn't work because we we're lambs. We don't have that ability. Yeah. And so it's one or the other. We're gonna try to civilize them, or we can not civilize them, and get eaten. And. Uh, Frankly, I think the Catholic Church model is a little more realistic in terms of, you know, understanding the incentives of reality are what they are. It's yeah. better to be involved with the state with all of the problems that that comes with. And yes, it does come with quite a few problems. But like separation of church and state did not solve any problems. It actually created quite a few because now you just uh, open the door for, you know, state atheism to creep yeah, in I- and out. I've had this point for a while. For a while, the worst thing the government ever did was the separation church and state. Because yeah, it's that was the, a big the, mistake. Yeah, the church for the longest time was like the, the intellectual ruling class, that like put, gave the principle for the state to exist, kind of thing. Divine right of kings, kind of kept them somewhat accountable. <laughs> yeah, what well, that? Yeah. Now you got the universities taking its place, and you got people like uh, Woodrow Wilson, the first new progressive pope. It's just it's nonsense. Well, and it's like you know now you have wokeism in, involved, and that's the, like way better. You know, good job. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, I, I I would take Calvinism any day over wokeism, and you know, I'm I'm no fan of Calvinism. I, I wouldn't go that far. It's like uh, I would, but uh, it's it's <laughs> like I understand like, like Jesus, like wokeism is like so much worse. It's it's, it's so like bad. it's. It's a it's a bad a combination well, of atheism. Wokeism is not a religion because it doesn't have a god. So it's just a, it's just an ideology. Uh, Andrew, come on. And so it's like all of these are religion. All ideology <laughs> is religion. It's yeah. it's and uh, that and that's and that's the idea is you're trying to reshape the incentives of reality to fit your ideology, and that works kind of on a multi millennium time scale. <laughs> so it's like if you're trying to have this done by the next election, like I'm, I'm I got bad news for you. Like I'm spreading the message. It's like Christians have been spreading the message about you know love for like two thousand years, and we've like. We kind of got them off like private aggression. Yeah. It's like their public aggression is still there. It's like we still have to deal with all those with all those mm-hmm. incentives, but we kind of managed to get the people off of private aggression, yeah. and which was a real big accomplishment considering we hadn't done that for two thousand mm-hmm. two hundred thousand years, yeah. and we got that done in under two thousand. 
We got rid of a silent sacrifice. Now we just got fetus sacrifice. We're getting closer. Uh, yeah. It's like, again, then, and there's that incentive again, because, you know, if you have a high time preference and you want to, uh, you know, live your, to your own maximum consumption, having kids is a, you know, something that's going to be a drawback on that. And you would have to lower your time preference in order to feed them and take care of them and all that. So that's why you had high time preference religions back then that, taught you to you know sacrifice your child and all that because it enabled you to spend more on yourself and that that was the underlying incentive there that causes something like that and you know you have the same thing on the left today where they are the high time preference religion that is designed to make you more infantilized to make you more high time preference and to uh they're trying to promote you to be more of a degenerate barbarian and you know the and have like a barbarian religion and they're doing all the same sort of practices they're just not calling it religious anymore and that's not really an improvement and actually they're doing it far more today than they ever did back then so the uh so yeah it's like the uh it's like we we we, we can either choose to civilize these people or we can they can be uncivilized i don't know take your pick you know it's like we forcibly no. civilize them or they're voluntarily barbarians yeah uh you know voluntarily civilized is not really an option for these people yeah like i, I see with my friend jacob asking about it uh jacob banyan from the uh, jacob tree podcast asking about Kant. i'm like look i'm not gonna say it was a great move but it got Kristen to stop being murdered so it's a pretty good move you know i guess uh yeah so, so say that a bit again about Kant. oh not Kant. uh my friend jacob Banyan from the uh yeah, Jacob from uh, uh, the Biblical Anarchy guy. Yeah, yeah. He kind of asked me about Constantine. I was like, look, I'm not going to say it was great having a state religion, but it got Christian to yeah. stop being murdered by the state. So it wasn't so bad. You know? Yeah, was, I mean, we we went though. through uh, Aurelian. We went through D Domitian. We went through Nero and uh, Caligula. <laughs> like all the really, really bad names. And Aurelian wasn't so bad, but he's still kind of, yeah. yeah he, he probably doesn't belong on that list, but he was still a, a real, a real, you know, slaughter slaughterer not really of so, christians but of you know pretty much everybody <laughs> he wasn't got to get so we've got we've got to get to talking about the bible and judges but i have, I have one more question yeah. that i want to ask because i so many of them you know, i've listened to a lot of your podcasts i'm like i got a lot of questions for this guy mm -hmm. um you talked about oh, i think it was on uh, jose's podcast or in a couple of tweets about good laws that match the level of the people yeah like they match the moral capacity of yeah. the people that was something uh, I don't know if you remember. Uh, you see this in the, you actually see this in the biblical uh, laws mm. too, where they were designed to understand that uh, these are not second century <laughs> BC barbarians, second millennium BC <laughs> bar barbarians, mm. and uh, they really don't see the uh, they do not see the world the way we do. Yeah. <laughs> they did, you know, when uh, you, know, you have to understand, like a lot of the really really barbaric laws that you are know, you'll find in the in Leviticus, these were step ups. For, yeah. these, for these people it's like when you know he's when uh god is giving them permission to uh you know ostensibly giving them permission that you know if you're going like after you get done slaughtering your enemies in battle if you want to go you know you know rape their virgins you have to marry the virgin first <laughs> like understand like the previous system was like you just raped her and killed her yeah. So I was like, understand you're going to marry her first, which is for life. And you have to take care of her afterward, after you get done raping her. Oh, and you have to give her 30 days to grieve over her family that you just slaughtered. <laughs> it's like, this was a step up for them. <laughs> and they, like, they would be like, what do you mean? I can't rape the, you know, rape the virgin after I'm done. Of course I have a right. You know, it's yeah. like God's taking all my rights away. It's like, <laughs> this is like the level of barbarian that you're talking about. And it's about like, 
It's like you have to make laws that are appropriate for the moral level because it's like if you yeah. just outlawed rape, they're like, fuck you. We're not doing that. I mean, there was one uh, I, I pointed out before. It's like the uh, ACS doesn't go like what the Bible said they could take uh, the court had the right to kill their kids or something. Yep. It's like that took away the parents' right to kill their kids. Mm-hmm. That's not well, no, no. It was actually like you have to know. It's like it, it took away the. Uh, you know, they, it, it, one, it, you weren't allowed to kill your daughter anymore at all. It was only for your son because they, yeah. they wrote it like if you have a rebellious son, you have to give him a trial first before you execute him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, but so basically automatically your daughter is off the table. So like you can't kill your daughter anymore. Mm-hmm. And that which they were like, what do you mean I can't kill my daughter? It's like, I'm gonna sacrifice her, don't I? Yeah. It's like, I've been sacrificing my kids to battle forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Moloch, what do you mean I can't kill him? And, uh, and uh, God's taking all my rights away. Mm. And uh, they, they are the libertarians of the day. And so, they, but, the, and then they, they're like, okay, but, and you at least have to give the kid a try, give the son a trial before you kill him. Yeah. And it's like, like, this was a step up because the previous yeah. system was you just killed them and no oversight. And that was it. All done. This is McClinus what about when he talked about uh, prostitution laws. Yep. He's like, people are gonna sin. We have to accept that. You can't legislate mm-hmm. sin away. And you say it's a conservative tradcons, and they just ignore it completely. Yeah. And you say the libertarians, and I'm just like, you can't legislate sin away, but also we should legalize everything. And I'm like, people can't handle that. Yeah. <laughs> but well, 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 what's gonna happen is is that you're just gonna get them in the habit of disobeying the law and disrespecting it and thinking that the law is illegitimate. And or, or and uh, they're just going to kind of laugh at you and move on and continue doing the thing you told them not to do. And now you're in the problem of you know using a lot of force with them, and they're going to respond with force. And you know this is prohibition, and th- that's mm-hmm. the reason why prohibition was a really stupid law, and still is yeah. a stupid law. Yeah. Was that you know you're, you're expecting people to give up alcohol that they've had yeah. for thousands of tens of thousands of years. I'm like, you are not thinking this one through here, buddy. And it's like, and and you're not, you're not. And worse, it's like, you know, the, you know, you ha- in Christianity, you have like, you know, actually in all human civilization, because all religions, except for like atheism and wokeism, except the, the idea that, you know, one of your cardinal virtues, your top four. And the reason it's called cardinal is not because of the cardinals in the Catholic church. It's because it's, a, you know, from a Latin word for door hinge, because society hinges on having these four, these four, you know, temperance, justice, prudence, and moderation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, I, 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 I missed that. You know, see, uh, temperance is moderation, justice, prudence, and what? Which one am I forgetting? Uh, I'm forgetting one, but it's important. But I'll, I'll come back to it. Yeah. But anyway, the one we're talking about here is temperance, which means going exactly the right distance and no farther. Yeah. Not, which is very different than teetotalism, which means don't go anywhere at all. So it was it was sort of golden mean, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick, was it Nicodemus? I always want to call it Nicodemus. Um, uh, I forget. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. The the idea is that you're allowed to go a certain distance and then no farther. So it's like mm-hmm. you're allowed to have alcohol and drink, but you know it's like okay. But the point where you start getting like blackout drunk, okay, that's way too far. You gotta stop. Yeah. You gotta stop before you go there. You stop like right around when you're getting tipsy or something like that. Yeah. That was- and, Literally exactly what Aquinas said in the same way okay, was uh, you could drink a few drinks, but the moment you start to feel, uh, how do you put it, enamored or lose sense yeah. of your reason, it was a sin. I was like, yeah, was, he had his wit out. Like, yeah. And so like you're actually asking a much higher level of virtue than even yeah. like the cardinal virtues ask for. And of course, people just don't have the moral capacity for that. That's why that's a bad law. Yeah. And now let's talk about the non-aggression principle. <laughs> so it's like now you see the problem. It's like yeah. it's like <laughs> these people have an incentive here, 
where they're you know behave they're they're behaving this incentive of aggression against you know private property because they don't respect property that's not a moral value for them and hasn't been for hundreds of thousands of years and it's like and you think that i just spread the message a little bit and call them blood-soaked monsters and that fixes the problem it's like buddy i got bad news for you it's like the christians have been telling people that you know sin is bad for two thousand years and you know and by the way the definition of sin for christianity is not love so it misses the mark of love. Love is the mark. Sin misses the mark, and the mark is love. So, so sin logically is anything that's either contrary to love or is less than love. And yeah, you know, and that actually has a very specific definition in Christianity that which is different than the secular version. And you know, so if you're uh, trying to get people to you know love their neighbors as themselves. You know, this fulfills the entire law. Remember, the law is about liberty. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like the entire, so, so by, by for, you fulfill all liberty with this idea of love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, we've barely gotten them to try to do that. And it's like, and now you want to, it's like, they're really, really struggling, you know, with 135 on the bench press bar. Now you want to put 350 on it. This is not going to work out. No. <laughs> and they're just going to say, fuck you. And they're going to continue. Yeah, it, you know, now you're really going to have a black market for aggression, which is kind mm -hmm. of what we have right now. Mm. That's the thing ruling over us. <sighs> There's so much. I love I, I love listening to podcasts. I'm so excited to be talking to you because I have you're, you're speaking things I understand. And yeah. if you if you if I heard this message when I was like he listened to Zoe Jorgensen, I'd be right here. But I'm here when I have to go down the Wasp Body and route and half of me is just like this isn't right. <laughs> Well, as I, this is why I'm I'm really optimistic about the future for Praxians is that, you know, hey, if, if you have Dave Smith actually go out and somehow defy the laws of nature and create, uh, you know, millions of new libertarians that, uh, well, uh, actually, uh, Buck, you know, I've the max I've ever gotten is uh, about 305. So uh, a little bit beneath 350, Buck Johnson in the comments. But uh, the most I've got, my PR is like 305. So that's uh, 350. Uh, that's that's buck level of that guy's like jacked. Yeah, <laughs> dude God, is traps, huge. This trap scale me, dude. He is huge in real life. Yeah. Uh, so I got, I, I, you know, I, I took a picture with him. You know, I went to to meet him a, a, a while ago because I, you know, on a Labor Day because my wife and I we wanted to go hiking in Austin. Mm -hmm. And you know, he's he's pretty close by there. And I met him for lunch and for a podcast. And my God, he's huge. And he's he's got such a nice house, like a really nice house. Was it there? He's got a nice house. Yeah. But any, anyway, so uh, but yeah, he's a he's a really cool cool guy. And I think I'm, I'm definitely look forward to seeing him in, again in the future sometime. I'm talking to him now. I think we're working out. Uh, I think we're October 19th is we're working out the date. The That'd podcast. be good. So it's gonna be, yeah, we're, we're gonna talk about why people from Florida and Texas see politics differently than everybody else. <coughs> so. Yeah, has a lot to do with geography, climate, and people. That's, uh, I was thinking it's the fact that the last year and a half, all states won fucking monsters. <laughs> four to two. There we go. I just looked at the last, the, the last vir vir virtue. And the reason yeah. you have, four, you know, the importance of this one, uh, of fortitude is that that's the testing point for all of the other three. And that's why I was forgetting it. It's the testing point for the other three. And so if you're, you know, in the Libertarian Party where you're never called on to actually take a moral stand on anything, you're only called to talk about it. Therefore, yeah. you have no fortitude. Therefore, you have no virtue. Because yeah, it's like your your virtue is actually all worthless. Mm -hmm. yeah, so whatever you whatever principles you think you have, they're actually all worthless because you can't you don't have any you know fortitude to test them with. You never actually get you know you can say oh well, what I would do if I were in office. It's like well you're not, so it's yeah. like it doesn't matter. Yeah, and then and you're never gonna be. Yeah, it, 
And that they're like, no, that's not fair. It's like, it's absolutely fair. It's yeah. like, and you try resisting the, by the way, the reason all these politicians change after the, uh, they get elected is because the incentives change. Mm. <laughs> that's the whole reason why they're behaving their incentives. And it is a rare brand of elite that will, you know, just not behave in the incentive and will consciously choose to do yeah. something else. And they always do this every every single time. Political incentives are real, and all politicians behave them. There's no secret cabal. Or, okay, there there are some secret cabals, but that's not the reason why all politicians in everywhere, everywhere on the planet, change their behavior after they get elected. Mm. It's because the incentives change, and <laughs> now they they have a different set of incentives to stay elected. Mm -hmm. Just changes, mm -hmm. and they will behave that because that's what their Darwinian evolution programmed them to do. I was uh that like I asked this too now. I was talking with Jared about um the a lot of conservatives say we need to just put more term limits in place. And I said we should get rid of term we should get rid of term limits, and then when I'm on we call, so if they stop being bad, you will call them. And of course Jared being more right wing than me said, No, I want it for life, and that way they have to do is all the consequences forever. Yeah. Uh yeah, I might disagree with both of you there. And the reason I, I would disagree is actually very counterintuitive of what actually happens when you uh See, the problem with the elites is that there's very, well, a pro I should say a problem for them is that they're very, very few in number. So when you're actually recycling them very, very quickly and they're, you know, they're, they're barred from, you know, returning into politics, what you end up getting is a whole bunch of plebs in there who don't know the incentives exist. Okay, you can't behave the incentives if you don't know that they exist. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening, and we proved this, in, proved this to be true in Florida, where you had a whole bunch of, uh, you know, like lifetime politicians that had been in there for decades. And, you know, when we passed term limits in the late nineties, flushed them all out, all down the toilet immediately. And over the next, uh, you know, few election cycles, it, you know, turned, you know, Florida went from like a kind of a 50, 50 state to a lot, to a, a very good, solid majority red state. And it never went blue again. The reason being is that now you have a whole bunch of, uh, you know, basically because there's so very few elites who really know how to gain power and 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 keep it. Now you have all and and the Democrats strategy is really, really heavily reliant on finding that one guy who knows how to do it and keeping that guy in there for decades and never letting him give up. See, this is a, this is a major problem with the Republicans. And the, these lower time preference, you know, right wingers is that they get tired of being in power and we have to figure out how to replace them and then train them to, you know, oh, this is how you get elected and stay elected. And then we so we've had to do that forever. And it's a really big cost to us to have to find new talent, identify it, train it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they've never had the Democrats don't have that same cost. So they're free to free up all of those assets to use against us. <laughs> and now we've forced the forced the Democrats or and the left into having the same uh, recruitment problems that the right has. And, you know, all we did was level the playing field. And because, you know, they have actually few, they have fewer but more talented elites. We have more but much substantially less talented elites. And so, you know, we've been, you know, doing the whole recruitment thing for decades and we've kind of gotten it down a little bit. And, and usually by the time they've been, you know, the, uh, these, uh, plebs have been in there for a few, uh, 
you know, for a few cycles, they, that, that's when they finally start to get the picture of, oh, this is the incentive. And I'm, I'm actually supposed <laughs> to go a little bit more to the left. Mm. And by that time, they, you know, they've hit their term limit and they're out now. <laughs> and mm. so basically what, you know, you end up causing a lot more problems for the left than you do for the right, because the right already has those problems. And so nothing really changes when you put term limits in, in there. And, you know, and it, that would be my rationale for, you know, adopting term limits everywhere is that you would get rid of a lot of the really bad leftists and you would cause a recruitment problem for the enemy that they do not have right now and that the Republicans already have, or I should say the right wingers already have. So I, I, I was, that, that is, a, is a very counterintuitive incentive. So mm. makes sense though. Makes sense. But to give this is why Florida has been a right wing state since we passed term limits is that the Democrats just can't recruit. Did you, oh, did you see that video from that new like anti Juan DeSantis guy? It was in Pete Canona's uh, free stuff. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I, I said, I would have like, moved This is him. the attack ad. <laughs> this is like, yeah. a, I was like, huh, this, this is one hell of an attack ad. It's like, mm-hmm. I kind of like, it's making me like the guy a lot more. <laughs> I hope, I hope Juan DeSantis wanted the same thing because like a tour was a mad. That's what I would do. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I, basically, thing. I mean, this is like the best thing that's ever happened to tourism in Florida is that, you know, all of the competition got shot in the leg. <laughs> All, yeah. all the all of the competition just shot itself, and so the uh, like n- now that they, they uh, you know Florida's the oh, oh hello yeah frozen oh shit no don't don't freeze out on me what's going on oh no yeah don't I go out of something nope I'm still can you hear me I can hear you huh okay because you're frozen too and I'm not sure why but mm-hmm. now my whole screen is like frozen but. Uh, let's just keep talking. And if I cut out or I stop talking, oh, well. Okay. Well, let's, let's finally, after an hour, and this is normally, when I, this is normally when I wrap the podcast up, but this is you, we're not just going to get into the book. All right. I like it. So judges, Gideon, all the, uh, covenant communities in the Bible. You said that it's, it's like you brought up covenant communities on a, I can't remember what podcast that you were on and you brought it up. And I was like, that's, that's something to talk about. You're trying to figure out a guest or a, a topic or a book, and I saw it. I'm like, yeah, this is what, this is what it's coming on for. It's coming on for that one. Yeah, the uh, yeah, the I think that was on a Bucks podcast. Mm. Still there? Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, with ah, oh, fuck, I lost. Let me let me send the invite and see if I can get them back for the chat, y'all. Oh, that sucks. We finally were gonna get into the book, and he. His internet goes out. Okay, guys, I think he's gone. Oh, that sucks so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Catholic Libertarian Podcast. Um, 
this has been Andrew from Popular Liberty. Uh, I will give I will give his plugs for him today. Go follow him on Twitter at, at @popularliberty underscore. Okay. Um, go join the Mises GOP. Go read the Bible. Pray. Be a better person. Lift some weights. And um, hopefully we'll get him back on to finish the conversation now because I was I think I had two pages of the notes here for this podcast and I only got to go to like one of them. Um. Bunch of great podcasts coming up soon, so subscribe, hit the notification bell. We'll give him a few more minutes to try to see if he uh, gets his situation figured out. Oh, and he's back. Ah, shit. Sorry about, sorry about you, that. I, I, was a, I, was, I was wrapping it up, man. I was giving your plugs. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm back. <laughs> okay, woo. All right. So, all right, we got back. So, all right, we were ta- talking about the covenants and basically, okay, so, you know, where was I when I froze? Uh, you talking about covenant communities? You want bugs on? You on bugs? So talking about a little bit. So oh yeah, and uh, so anyway, you know the the anti tax that was the my initial uh, invention of how you would you know get rid of taxation without really getting rid of taxation. Where really what like how you would you know get you know have a ability to fund the government without taxes, and the government would go along with that, and you know how you could incentivize them to do that. And archotropism was kind of invented as a byproduct of that research, you know, where I started noticing the patterns over and over and over again. I really just wanted to understand the left and understand what they would do in, in order so I could basically pen test or penetration test my idea of the anti-tax and try to make it a lot more robust and resilient and anti-fragile against the, uh, the, the whatever the left would do. And I kept noticing these patterns over and over again. And, that, and that's where I first got the idea, oh, this is the you know th- this is their value system. This is how they do that, mm-hmm. and eventually I noticed that it had such a similarity to uh, thermodynamics, and that kind of cued me into where all of the other uh, three or four laws were. And you know the uh, anyway, but you know you just told me like oh that's where that is, and because I, uh, I went to thermodynamics first. Yeah, you know, after that, and I'm like oh so uh, these laws of physics are. It's basically these rule, these incentives of power, these economics of power is mimicking thermodynamics in a, in a sense. And so I went to thermodynamics, what are the laws? And I'm like, okay, do I see anything that kind of looks mm-hmm. like this in the value system? I'm like, yep, there they are. <laughs> and sure enough, you find like, you know, the fifth law is based on the law of diminishing returns. You know, that's the, uh, the idea that, uh, you know, it's that second law of thermodynamics and all that anyway. But what, you know, eventually what you get out of that is that, there are really two forms of you know, government. I'm u- using that with air quotes, so to speak. That really fit the uh, that really fit the anti-tax, and that's you know private statecraft, which is like corporate, and one is anarcho, and the other is the anarcho covenant, you know, mm-hmm. or decentralized anarcho covenant. And so that was where I got those those. Uh, that was where I came to the realization that you know it, you would need some sort of private statecraft. Because that was the the more functional of the two, mm-hmm. and the uh, you know it was anarcho covenant was a, you know the incentives are slightly different. But where did that yeah. term come from exactly? Because I, mm-hmm. I I only started hearing it about two two which, months which ago one? maybe. Covenant, co- uh, co- anarcho covenants, so co- covenant communities like uh, covenant people. community. I think that's a term Hoppe came up with. Uh, anarcho covenant was a term that I think it, it had been around, but. I've never seen, I've never quite seen it used, but I just like, you know, I, I, that was another one I kind of just coined, but I'm sure it's been around for an, for a while, but I'm sure it predated me, but I basically coined it, but I've never seen anybody else use it. 
but the uh anyway but yeah an anarcho covenant is basically what you found in the bible you know with the the, the law of moses it, it, there's no mm -hmm. government i love it when atheists try to tell me oh, i was a theocratic uh <laughs> you know state back then it's like you know they're ruled by this church i'm like really because that's interesting because they all didn't obey it yeah. <laughs> which is kind of like the point one. of the whole book of judges re repeatedly they're like uh, this whole religion thing is voluntary. Oh, guess what? We're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's that's cute that you have these laws. We're not doing. We're not enforcing any of them. And we're in fact, we're going to de defy quite a few of them. <laughs> and I tried to count how many times they broke the law and God abandoned them. Six. I stopped at so yeah, six times. It was like I'm reading this. I'm like, God, these people are fucking dumb. I know they they don't. And, and there was one atheist on Twitter one time was probably trying to debate me. He's like, well, God told them to do it, so wouldn't they do it? Like. What? No. That's, that's, that's no of course not. Just because God tells you to do something doesn't mean you're gonna do it. Ugh. It's like I mean, God told Jonah to go uh, to uh, Nineveh. He's like, I'm gonna go go across the sea. I'm not going to Nineveh. Yeah. No, I'm not doing yeah. that. And uh, like, he immediately did the opposite. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like you're like the Bible's full of stories of you know God says go do this and they don't do it. Yeah. I mean, like, like, look at Gideon. Gideon. Like, God was like Gideon, go do this. Gideon's like. Mm. I don't, I don't believe you. I'm, I'm the guy. I'm going to need a few, a few trust tests. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, if I fall backwards, are you going to catch me or something yeah. like that? It's like, like, yeah, more than I a few of those. I believe that's an angel. I don't believe I'm the guy. Yeah. And, uh, well, what a sad. And, like, yeah. And, like, you know, Gideon, he's like my, you know, my favorite because, it, it, you know, Same I, I read the Bible a lot like I read kind of Greek mythology. <clears throat> and it's like, I do believe there are some super real supernatural elements, but, I usually don't quite read those into the Bible. I usually read like kind of like the Iliad, you know, like the, like with the Iliad, the way it starts off is that, you know, you have uh, <clears throat> basically the ancient Minoans and the uh, Trojan Trojans. These are like the, not quite, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not quite, no, Mycenaeans My, is Mycenae, Mycenae. These were the ancient Mycenaeans, uh, you know, were the, uh, th they were the Greeks. They were like the precursors to the Greeks and in their society, women were not really given that many rights. However, in the Trojan society, uh, they were given quite a few more rights. So if you were an aristocratic Greek woman and there's a, uh, you know, the ambassador, you know, was named uh, basically, pa you know, Paris, that was the prince, you know, Prince Paris of Troy. Uh, basically, uh, Paris was actually a title, you know, that, you know, you gave to the son of the, the, the son of the king that meant prince, but that wasn't actually his name. We don't know what his name was, but Paris, was, Paris was not his name. It was a, a title of, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, basically modern day Turkey, Anatolia, that, that sort of region. And, uh, Troy was kind of up in the Anatolia re region and, you know, it was very well positioned. We actually found the remains of it. And, uh, anyway, so, but they actually had a lot more, uh, rights for women. So if the, uh, you know, the uh, Trojan ambassador, you know, by the way, the Mycenaean empire would, would have been bumping up right up against, you know, where Troy was, which is a very geopolitical uh, hotbed region, you know, and uh, again, like, it's like, you know, modern day Asia, minor Turkey, that, yeah, that kind of region ish. And uh, the, so the Mycenaean empire is bumping up against it. They're going to want to try to take this thing over anyway. And so the uh, the uh, Trojan ambassador is there. We are trying to presumably do a peace talk of some sort. Mm -hmm. And you know this uh, Greek woman who's you know you know she's the princess, but she's an aristocratic Greek woman. You know she probably sees you know I can get a much better life in Troy. 
And so I'm going to try to seduce this ambassador who's like the, the king's son. He's the prince, Prince Paris, mm -hmm. and go run off with him. And of course, the, uh, when the Iliad is told, it's told from the Greeks' point of view. It's like, you know, the goddess Venus, you know, of love made, uh, you know, uh, what, what's his name? Uh, the Helen of, you know, Helen of, you know, um, you know Mycenae, really, uh, you know, really Helen of Troy. But, you know, mm -hmm. that's how we remember her. But, you know, she, you know, goddess Venus made her fall in love with this, uh, you know, uh, this uh, Trojan ambassador and, you know, run off with, and elope with him. And really what it is, is that this is an aristocratic woman who with some ambition who just wants a few more rights. And that's probably yeah. what actually happened. <laughs> and then they had a war over that. So, and basically that war was kind of probably going to happen anyway. And that was why the, the Parisian, the, the, uh, the Trojan ambassador decided, ah, you know, I might as well, you know, get, yeah. get some hot, hot Greek tail and uh, bring her home with me. Cause this war's not, this war's going to happen anyway. So yeah. it's like, you know, he's the, he's basically the ambassador. He knows this is coming and he knows the negotiations have failed and that this is, you know, they, 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 they don't really need a pretense for war, but they might, you know, it's like, they're going to have one anyway. So I might yeah. as well get, get laid. <laughs> And that's that's what happened. Sad. And um, there, there's usually a, a more natural, reasonable <laughs> explanation for the things that are happening than you know supernatural uh, beings. Yeah. And the I read about the same thing into the Bible, like with uh, Gideon, where when he's uh, going through and uh, whittling down his forces, because if you look at what his plan was, or like the plan that you know supposedly God gave him. You know, this was a plan that relied on cunning and cleverness and amb you know, and secrecy mm -hmm. and what and you can't maneuver very well with a very large force of yeah. like thirty thousand people, which is what his army started off with. And he went through like three rounds of uh cutting the army down, whereas like initially he's like, Hey, if you're scared, go home. You don't have to you don't mm -hmm. have to stay here. And then he lost like two thirds of his forces right there. <laughs> and he had like uh I forget what the second test was, but you know, he uh yeah, you know, the, the, it was like a second test of like, hey, if you have anything that you really just don't want to lose or something like that, you can go home. And <laughs> you, and a whole bunch more people went 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 home. And uh, eventually, and uh, you know, third test was like, hey, you know, are you do you do you have basically situational awareness is what he was looking for with the yeah. third test. Which what you know what was okay? Are, you know when you go down and drink in the water, mm -hmm. you know do you just like dunk your face in and slurp it all up, and or, or are you like actually like putting your hand down and you know kind of looking around with you and while you drink, and that's that's judging situational awareness. My my and, brain because all I remember my, my the way my brain remembers Bible stories is vegetarian versions of it. Yeah, and so I all I could think of was like the smoothie sink and that one. Uh, did you see the vegetarian ones, Gideon? What they uh, did. I don't know about the Gideon one, but I definitely ah, had definitely had a lot a lot of veggie tales when I was a kid. Well, and that one, what they do is they give he gives us so a running around all day, gives them a bunch of smoothies, and they drink the smoothie with a straw, or they suck it and get a brain freeze. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's that's a great one, honestly. I I, I'm, I watched uh, my mom babysits, and I was watching veggie tales the other day with the kids, mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, oh yeah. These shows are good. They held up. The comedy of Tales, man, that's that's funny as hell. Oh yeah, I mean that's like the best way to educate kids. It really oh, is. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's judging situational <laughs> awareness there. Yeah. And basically he got his army from 30,000 down to 300 and he's taking <laughs> on like what, 12,000 or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, Midianites is <laughs> an army. And he basically what he does, is he ambushes them at night and he use a, he, uh, you know, breaks a bunch of pots and, you know, has them roar really, his uh, army roar really loudly of 300 mm -hmm. people. You know, break some pots, light their torches, and pretend like they're having an invasion. And because the Midianites don't have any, uh, you know, uniforms or anything, and they all wake up 
and they all think that everyone else is the enemy. And so mm-hmm. they all start slaughtering the, you know, their own people, mm-hmm. thinking that they're the Israelites coming to invade them at night. And then at the uh, basically, so a- after that, it, it ba- they basically whittled themselves down to a few, uh, Midianites whittled themselves down to a few hundred. Gideon calls the rest of the army back, and mm-hmm. you know they chase down and kill all the Midianites. And mm-hmm. then the, uh, but basically because that plan relied on you know the you know stealth and amb- you can't manu- you can't uh, sneak up on an enemy with thirty thousand people. It's not going to work. Yeah. Three hundred you can make it work, but. Mm-hmm. You know the uh, you know, but because of that, it's like he's with he's <laughs> the, the rational explanation is he has a plan that relies on cunning and cleverness and secrecy and you know stealth, and you know it's like thirty thousand ain't going to work for that. He needs to figure out which of the which of them have like they have the courage, so they're not going to run away. You know they have the situation awareness, so that they can you know not give give away the their uh, position to the enemy and not alert the enemy that they're there. Mm-hmm. And they can actually manage the stealth. And this is, the, you know, these were a, a rational way of looking at how you would implement th- this plan. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, that actually worked out really well. And I think there's, you know, that that is a, a much more rational explanation for what happened there. Mm-hmm. But he's a, he's the judge that kind of won with cleverness. And whereas all the all the rest, they kind of won with like brute force at, or you know maybe a little bit of assassination with you. Uh, mm-hmm. I think not off the not off Neil, but um, uh, uh, Jehub or something like that. Uh, the one who, uh, who uh, he uh, assass- yeah, is the left-handed judge who assass- mm-hmm. you know, who assassinated the Moabite king, mm-hmm. and you know then called the army to you know to basically mop up because now there's no mm-hmm. king and they they have no real military leader. Yeah. So now they're easy picking. It's easy to beat an un- an undisciplined and un mm-hmm. you know. A leaderless force. You had a tweet about uh, Gideon about strategy. How your strategy doesn't require a lot of people like Gideon. Yep, that's a good point. I think. I think. Uh, can you elaborate on that a little bit? No, yeah. <laughs> because again, <laughs> like, like Gideon, kind of it. Kind of, kind of, kind of well, again, if, if you have a, if you have a uh, strategy that relies kind of on secrecy and ambush, you don't tell the enemy of the plan on the podcast. Yeah. That is fair. Yeah, it's like the I have, I have two basic rules for radicals, if you will. Mm-hmm. That uh, one is you're not a radical; your enemies are the radical. You're a moderate, <laughs> yeah. and it's like your enemies are the radi- are, are the radicals. Mm-hmm. You know, like Nancy Pelosi, she's far left. Nancy Pelosi, she's such a radical. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it's like me; I'm a I'm a very well reasonable moderate, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't want to do anything really ra- radical. It's like I believe in you know. Uh, constitution, conservatism, and all that, and uh, I have just a few ideas for what we should do with with government that are really not that controversial, very moderate mm-hmm. and well reasoned. And yeah, I just, I'm nothing like the that the, the far left. And We're not <laughs> radical libertarians trying exactly. to take over a project and specifically say radical libertarianism. Yeah, it's you like have a, a podcast I, called Radical. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing like that. I, I'm a uh, you know I'm a, I'm a uh, well reasoned moderate. I'm nonpartisan, and uh, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I am. And yeah, you know, then rule number two is don't tell the enemy the plan on a podcast. So that's I was yeah. kind of hoping for an answer like that, honestly. I yeah. was kind of hoping for an answer like, look, I tell you on a podcast, it's cheaper Watson. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And but I will, I did get that 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 uh plan. I, I, I did, there is a real plan. I sent it, mm-hmm. you know, the outline of it to uh Pete Canones and Matt Erickson a few weeks ago. And I, I, I and uh, just the 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 doc, you know, like a probably a 4,000 word document back then, it's now 5,300. And 
you know, and I finished converting it into a, a PowerPoint presentation to be uh, given to just my small group of Praxian podcasters, you know, who have large audiences and can, you know, spread the message of Mises GOP uh, without telling the enemy the plan. Would it, but be, on is... your, would it be on your subscribe saw on your Discord? Because I joined that today. No, so... no, oh, no, no. Yeah, it's not, that's not going to be there. But uh, yeah, basically, the, you know, that's where that's, uh, got, you know, going to be as I, I'm convincing you know a few of the larger podcasts to spread to uh you know, recruit for me and that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to be giving them as a presentation on what exactly the plan is for how do we get from the 1984 uh status hellhole that we're in right now not, really, not even status just totalitarian <laughs> hellhole mm-hmm. that we're in right now and get to a, a private society from here and I and I lay out step by step exactly how we're going to do that without a fight I look forward and, to, I look forward to seeing all that and that, yeah, because really, it's like if you have a if you have something a government like ours, you can't fight this thing. You yeah. know, this thing is not you know, okay, and that should tell you logically what the plan has to be. Come and, on, man! Like we got guns. You know, like look at look at Afghanistan. They fall off the government. Like Afghanistan's a hellhole. You don't want to live there. It's like Afghanistan is you know in, incredibly different. And no, they didn't really fight us off. We weren't really trying. This wasn't war. It yeah. was a money spending operation. Yeah, this was an excuse for for spending, you know, money and and cronyism. This was not really war. It's like, yeah, okay, people over there are dying, and that sucks, and it's obviously wrong. But to think that you know we are over there with you know what ten thousand troops in order to uh, you know ostensibly beat <clears throat> you know and conquer Afghanistan and you know, just be at perpetual war with them. Mm-hmm. This is not what war looks like. Okay, yeah. the. Uh, you know what, what we're really trying to do over there is just spend money and you know give kickbacks to our you know military industrial complex that's all that was about and so they didn't really beat us we just kind of kind of got tired and left hmm. that was all that was yep let's talk about degeneracy and making making how it makes you weak oh yeah no, I, mean, I mean pick, i mean pick your poison you want sloth because <laughs> that's obvious you know the mm-hmm. the uh you know if you're again that that you know, all you know, when we talk about degeneracy, what we're saying is it, these are actions that degenerate society back down into the you know barbaric uh, hell, you know, hell world we came from, mm-hmm. and you know because you're increasing the because you're decreasing the wealth of society, you're increasing the scare, you're necessarily increasing scarcity. Scarcity breeds conflict, and it and it breeds the impulse to uh, you know use power to use force to get what you need, and. And so, you know, because obviously, if there isn't enough to go around, somebody's going to have to get a lot less, and that person probably doesn't want that, and they're probably just going to be like, "Well, fuck the system. That doesn't work for me. I'm going to use force to, you know, try to do what's best for me." And you're not, and that's just basic, you know, archetype. That's the basic first law right there. Is that, you know, you're, you're, you know, you there. This act of aggression has value, and it's going to get done to the extent that it has. Uh, mar- you know, it's not just value; it has marginal value, to where like okay, you know, because there's a time constraint. There's only 24 hours in a day, and you have to spend eight of them sleeping at least, usually, hopefully. <laughs> uh, you know the. Uh, you only need four. You only need four. Yeah, it's not good. Not great for your health, there, buddy. It's gonna, you know, really take hours off of your life or, or years off of your life on the promise. You know, eventually, <laughs> that will catch up. But anyway, but uh, yeah, it's only twenty four hours in a day. So, and you have to again, you, you know, remember the law of demand. You prioritize your most important actions first, and it kind of goes down mm-hmm. from there. So you, you know, you you use your time uh, to you know just 
to constrain that equation to, okay, only the most important things get done in the day. So if your aggression is, you know, fall, is, is below the cutoff point, it doesn't get done. And so if you have marginally more productive, uh, more valuable things to do before you get to aggression, that keeps you from having to go there. And the, uh, and unfortunately, most people are not there. Most people yeah. are actually like well below that line. And, you know, uh, you know we're, we're uh, consumption meets production. And they're well, or I should say production exceeds consumption. That's, that, that's the, really the line. And, and if their consumption is always bigger than their uh, production, uh, they're going to be, they're going to have some real scarcity problems. And that, that looks like poverty. That mm -hmm. looks like regret. And that is a direct incentive to aggression. And so if you're a, uh, you know, doing, uh, acts that, you know, greatly increase that, uh, that scarcity <laughs> that, uh, you know, you're actively increasing the really on the flip side, because remember law of supply is literally just the inverse of the law of demand. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're increasing the, you know, the value of these acts, really you're increasing demand for aggression. And unfortunately, remember that uh, if, the, if these acts weaken you and we can talk about, uh, let's, let's go ahead and talk about how, like, uh, let's say like you have like single parenthood, mm -hmm. you know, like so you have a, a lot of fornication, which causes single parenthood. Uh, or is these directly contribute, not cause, but directly contributes to it and makes it far more likely because let's face it, if you're abstinent, your chances of having an unplanned pregnancy is like virtually zero. It's like, unless you get like get raped. And again, those statistics are virtually zero. Yeah. Virtually 0% of the time is that, uh, you know, is that, are those unplanned pregnancies rape? That's yeah. just doesn't happen or it yeah. does, but it's like, it's extremely rare. Single, like I think, the last number I saw from a plan panel was like 0 0.02 yeah, or 0 0.07, something, something very low. That sounds there's, about right. There's a higher percentage of abortions recommended by doctors for medical uh, life of the mother than there were with incest, incest abortions. Yeah. It's, yeah. Very, very rare. And, but if you, you know, but you know, fornication on the other hand is like mm -hmm. the 99%. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and again, not all of those get aborted. And uh, quite a few of those actually are carried full term but they never have a father and, mm -hmm. and you don't have a father to really give you that security and structure. You grow up with your whole life being insecure and you know, you, you don't have a, a male role model in your life. And for women, that's really bad. It ca again, causes pro promiscuity because they're insecure and they want that validation from a man that they never got mm -hmm. from a father. And you know, and that's, that's not good. It causes prostitution and drug use and all those other things in women. In men, it's a whole different story. It causes all, all sorts of crime and, uh, and we, and like, it like, I think it's like 10 X's or something like that. The, the chance of suicide in men, you know, to, like not having a father. And it's like, so when, when you talk about how these things make you weak, they greatly increase the amount, amount of mental illness, greatly increase poverty. Cause by definition, there's only one income supporting you. And now, and by the way, that one income is barely enough to support the one person who's producing it. And now it has to get split over a whole different person. Yeah. It's like, it's a rest, it's an immediate recipe for poverty. And so mm -hmm. the, uh, so, and by, by the way, again, go back to the uh, start of this discussion, <laughs> mm -hmm. who gets the worst of the, uh, yeah, you know, like who gets the worst from all predators or criminals or state alike? The poor cool. people. Why? Because mm -hmm. they can't fight back. Yeah, you know, it's like they don't have that. They don't have the resources to effectively uh, fight back, or or at least or even remove themselves from the uh, predatory environment mm -hmm. where all the criminals are. And that's just and because you know, if you're a predator and you're uh, assessing your uh, risk reward, you know, you want to predate in an area that you know well where you live. 
and you know and you want to be able to really run to safety really quickly and mm. you want to smash and grab and run and and then get off the street because that's how you you know don't get caught that's how you mm. minimize your own risk and again this is all just rational praxeological behavior yeah. If you're a sociopath, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, which again, we those exist. You can't yes. just hand, you can't just imagine a world where sociopaths don't exist and aren't a substantial portion of the population. And they and, don't, and they, and they don't always work in government. People, that's yeah. something that they had to bring up on the podcast. Is that seriously? Um, the libertarianistic evil only exists in the state, and they completely ignore evil existing outside the state. They really and it's do. like evil exists everywhere, people. It's I'm beginning to hate libertarians. I really am. Well, this is, again, this is why I'm so happy with, you know, like Day Smith going out and uh, spreading the message because he creates a whole bunch of new libertarians who haven't had the lobotomy yet. (laughs) You know, the libertarian lobotomy, as uh, Matt Erickson likes to call it, (laughs) where you just lose all of your sense of reason and you're disconnected from reality. Mm -hmm. And those people, you know, because, you know, now I'm here, I can, I can get to these people early. And siphon off the people. Well, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be, you know, Dave's going to end up creating quite a few more Praxians than Libertarians. (laughs) Yeah, because again, my, you know, you know, this other side of economics Libertarians don't like to talk about Mm -hmm. really were, you know, uh, it makes sense for a lot of people who are coming from that more right wing point of view of, Mm -hmm. oh, this is where all of that comes from. This is why all Mm -hmm. of that works the way it does. Yeah. And this, and, you know, this, and it really just sets up and frames and explains the rest of the problem you yes. know, that libertarians don't like to talk about. And because yeah. they're not talking about it, well, okay, more for me. That was and, something I, I, I can't stand about. Like, I, I am a paleo guy, but like, uh, you, you know, Matt Walsh of the, the Daily Wild? Yeah. Yeah. He was going off on Twitter a while ago and on his podcast about the, uh, the left is causing artists degeneracy and it's causing artists as a terrible saying and destroying yeah. a family structure. Like, he's absolutely right. And then when you had a few paleo guys hopping in, like, it's because of the welfare in Federal Reserve, he responded with, I'm talking about death of the family and people are talking about economics and it's sad. I'm like, come on. Yeah. You're so close. <laughs> and, uh, well, it's, I mean, they're not unrelated. Mm-hmm. But again, if you have this archotropism point of view, it's like, it makes sense. You know, it's like, it is an economic problem. And yes, like the Fed and all of these other institutions are, are making the problem substantially worse. Mm-hmm. But the problem existed before it predated the Fed. It predated the welfare state. And really, and if you understand it properly, actually, those things were created in order to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they, 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 were, they were created because that problem already pre, uh, pre-existed. And making that problem bigger is actually better for the state. Mm. And it's like the uh, so it's like just getting rid of the Fed, like, okay, okay, yeah, that will make things better. But at the same time, it's like the whole reason this thing was created in the first place was not to make the problem better, I should make the problem substantially worse. So it's like, you know, you're misunderstanding the incentive, you're imputing good motives to people who do not deserve the good motives. Yeah. And yeah, and I think again, this is something a problem that the right makes it where they impute, okay. The left and the right, I don't know if, you got, if, if you've ever noticed this about them, but they make the opposite mistakes that the other one makes, mm-hmm. Whereas, in terms of how they view the other one. Whereas like the right views the left as misguided, and the left views the right as evil. 
<laughs> and reality, the left is evil and the right is misguided. And yeah. so they, they understand themselves as being misguided and they kind of project that onto the left as like, no, they're, they're actually malevolent and evil. And the left is malevolent and evil and they know it deep down. And so they assume that the right is malevolent and evil too. And that's, and they, they, they basically, they, they project themselves and their own biases onto the other. And unfortunately, the, the libertarians are right there making the same exact thing, you know, where they believe that the, the, uh, yeah, both sides are just misguided because again, these guys are their libertarians are much more to the right, depending on the type of libertarian. Cause if you have a left libertarian, they're actually kind of in the middle because they have, if you understand that, uh, okay, because archotropism, this aggression actually has two demand functions, not just one. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and I say the first and second law because these are again these are the they're, they're both the law of demand. One mm -hmm. is an explicit demand for aggression where they actually want it and they consciously understand that I want this sort of good kind of aggression. You know where you know they imagine like they're doing good by it and that they, they're not you know being criminals. But on the other hand, there has a pseudo demand function as well, which basically behaves the same way as demand and functions the same exactly the same. Because, you know, you're able, you know, you, if you're the thing that people fear, people will pay to make you go away. And, this, you know, it's the, it's the perverse incentive and the market doesn't care. As long as you're, yeah. if, if people weren't willing to pay to make things they don't like go away, those things they don't like wouldn't appear. And it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a fucked up incentive, but that's, it's, it's real. And the market will treat it exactly the same way as if, you know, you're, as if you were paying them to give you something you want. And the, uh, and so like when you have like degeneracy or something like that, that, you know, is a, is, again, it's a perverse incentive of reality where you're incentivized, like if, if you're like a prostitute or something like that, you know, uh, with ladies of the night, as you like to call them, what they're actually doing is short selling, uh, you know, the, the value of, you know, female chastity or female sex. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, if you ask yourself, you know, what's the value of a pair of shoes? And, you know, it's like, okay, a brand new pair of shoes actually has a fairly consistent, uh, good uh, set of value. Uh, what, what if it has like 50 previous owners? Hmm. Doesn't have the same value there, does it? And, hmm. you know, what they're actually doing is, uh, you know, selling, you know, short, it's a short sale. Imagine you're selling a, a, a it's really is like a multi-million dollar asset uh, that normally if you, ha if you were to express that value in a marriage contract, it would be worth, multi you, know, you know, probably very high uh, six figures, low seven figures. Mm. over its lifetime and you know but but you're selling it for like a few hundred bucks for an hour and uh, it says it's nowhere you know you're not getting that full value for that no. uh service and and so you end up short selling uh you know this multi-million dollar asset it's as if you took a mansion and you sold it for you know, you just like rented it out you know mm. for a few hundred bucks that's a, you know it's like really it's like yeah, the price should be, you know, at least a few thousand a month locked in for like a 30 year mortgage or something like that. That's the actual value. But because you're, you know, putting, you're cycling so many uh, short term renters and, and tenants through it, you know, it's going to degrade in value over time just because that's, it's a consumable. And it's and the same thing. And that's true with, you know, all sort of degeneracy is it has that uh, characteristic of it, if it, if it, uh, greatly uh reduces the value of society or of a mm -hmm. resource and or it's or it's not maximizing its value the way it should if you're again because you know with, with like in a marriage contract you know where that's the uh you know you would have 
you know, you know, a lot of extra production, you'd be splitting the cost of living together. You'd be producing income together. You'd be producing children together, which are a wealth for society. That's more wealth mm. for society. And there'd be all this extra production that would happen. But because you, you did it in this very narrow context, none of that extra production happens. So in fact, you've actually, you know, decreased the, the value of society and you squandered it. You know, you, you've really just squandered a multimillion dollar, dollar asset. And, and you do that enough, you end up with a very, very poor society, which again, again, the scarcity is a direct demand for, uh, uh, for aggression. And that's not what you want. And yeah, sloth is another obvious one where, okay, if you're just not doing the production that you're supposed to be doing and you're consuming more than you, uh, than you produce, that's also decreasing the, uh, the wealth of society that's increasing the chances of aggression. If you're, if you're too selfish and greedy, you know, greed's another vice that, you know, you're taking too much for yourself, you know, and you're not like, like leaving enough for everyone else. You're greatly increasing the scarcity for everyone else. And, you know, which is basically you are, and you end up consuming more than you uh, put out. It's the same problem. And you, and you can do that with all the, with all of the, you know, seven deadly sins, or which are really the, the same seven types of sin, which mm -hmm. are different, you know, and, but they all have the same thing, the same common, common, uh, thing where they, they minimize production or they, or they're actually directly contrary to it. And there's, there's two kinds of sin. There's vices and violations. Violations are the ones you actually punish. Whereas vices, you don't really punish them, but you're supposed yeah. to discourage them because they're actually really not good. Vices are not crimes. Let's say I'm a They're not Great crimes. Mm -hmm. Great and uh, the Aquinas made the same point, whereas it's basically the Aquinas test of, mm -hmm. you know, what do you do with this? Is this a violation or is it a vice? And if it's a vice, you don't <laughs> punish it. And you might regulate it or you might put a tax on it, mm -hmm. but you can't really go overboard on that because, you know, that just makes the problem worse not better and what and what you're doing with like a tax on something like like a sin tax is mm -hmm. you're raising you're lowering the cost of the, the, the marginal profit remember these things these actions they get done you know by marginal incentives not total incentives mm -hmm. because of them and remember that we're locked into 24 hours in a day so anything that's beneath the bar doesn't get done mm -hmm. so by lowering the marginal profitability of the profitability or really you know utility of that action you know, you're, you're making it lower, lower down, less likely it's going to get done and more likely that something else will get done instead. Mm -hmm. And you want that to be a productive action, preferably, but it might be predatory. Mm -hmm. And that, and again, it's like, we're trying to get away from the predation for, from the, you know, the jungle method as Rothbard called it and get towards the production method, which is based on, you know, Christian love. And that's an entire different topic that uh, we probably won't get into today, but I will talk uh, about it with, with Erickson eventually. Nice. I only have two more questions. I'm asking mm -hmm. to plug your stuff. Uh, one, I asked I ask everyone this who's Catholic, um, Aquinas or Augustine? Tough. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I have to go with Augustine. Really? Re reason being is, you know, again, that's this idea of love. And mm -hmm. is the is the single most uh, you know Christian love really is the single <laughs> most important concept in human history, mm -hmm. and it's like you know it, I mean that you really just divide it before and after, and Augustine's the one who who cracked the code on it, mm -hmm. and Christ and God you know obviously they had that they had it first, and they didn't quite elaborate on it the way you would wish, but they mm -hmm. told you enough if you just obeyed the order you know mm -hmm. if you just obeyed it it would work, and you don't need to understand it, and which is 
you know, for, you know, for all of human history, they have like, a, like no education at all. And if they, you know, were, if they were an elite, they had maybe a first grade education, mm -hmm. maybe. <laughs> and so the, uh, so basically for people like that, trying to explain the, the complexities of economics to them is just, that's a non-starter. Yeah. So just uh, follow the order and it'll work. Just, you, you don't have to understand it for it to work. It can be a black box mm -hmm. for you. So that that's all they bought. That's all that, you know, God in the old Testament and Christ in the new mm -hmm. Testament, you know, again, but I repeat myself, they are the same person. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, you might, you might, you might have upset Rob. Rob's a uh, guy that's yeah, who denies the Trinity. Oh, well, he's, you know, it's a free country. You're allowed to be wrong. So yeah. anyway, the, Love you, Rob, but <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, but understanding the actual incentives of it and how this thing actually works, mm -hmm. actually cracking the black box open and, you know, figuring out the incentives of this thing mm -hmm. that was first done by, uh, St. Augustine. It was eventually, uh, really perfected by, uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux and De Amor Dei or De Amor Deo. And, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that it was, he, he was a uh, good 800 ish years later, something mm -hmm. like that. And, uh, after, after Augustine, Augustine was in the early, like three hundreds ish. Yeah. And, uh, but Augustine's the first one to really crack the code on that and understand mm -hmm. why this thing really works the way it does. And I, I, I gotta give that to him because that there was this, the single most important concept in human history. Mm. And, you know, that, that idea of, selfless love and how it just changes the whole game mm -hmm. is uh, revolutionary it's responsible for all human progress that you know we are not barbaric we are able to talk on the internet today because of that idea of christian love mm -hmm. and we would not have the civilization we have we would still be you know, you know, brushing our teeth with urine as we were, mm. five, you know, 1500 years ago in the, you know, the glory days of Rome. <laughs> and uh, the, but again, that's, you know, I don't know if people know that story where uh, uh, Vespasian, you know, the reason we call toilets Vespasians <laughs> is that, uh, you know, there was the emperor Vespasian who put a tax on urine and you actually paid your tax in urine. And boy, what I wish we could do that today. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hey, IRS, I got your tax for you right here. Fuck off. <laughs> it's like, uh, I wish we could do that today, but we can't. Mm. But, you know, there was a, you know, basically back then you would pay your taxes in urine because you could use it, uh, the ammonia in it as a good bleaching agent, you know, for brushing your teeth with. And you can make a paste out of that and brush your teeth with urine. I did not know any of this. Wow. And uh, basically that's where we were as a civilization 1500 years ago, 1500 years later, we were talking on the internet, you know, yeah. and, and we're immersed in this Christian love society where mm -hmm. you've probably interacted with that same concept five or six times just today and didn't even know it. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of that, that uh, idea of, hey, of the, the fish goes up to the other fish and says, Hey, the water's warm today. And the other fish like, what's water? <laughs> And because you're so immersed in it, you just don't recognize it. Mm -hmm. And that's the, uh, that's Christian love. We're so immersed in it right now that, and it's productive capability that, uh, and just progress. That's all, all mm -hmm. progress is due to this one idea. Augustine is the one who cracked the code on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Aquinas kind of built off of it later, but yeah. It's like he, the, Augustine is the giant that uh, whose shoulders Aquinas is standing. Mm -hmm. I yeah, I I should say I, Aquinas is my patron saint because he's the one who really got me converted fully to Catholicism. Uh, but the more I read Augustine, the more I'm like, I like this guy a little bit more. I think. Yeah, Michael like, the Archangel here. Because <laughs> you know you don't make peace with evil. You you put your spear through its, the back of its neck. <laughs> you know, uh, I always love that that uh, I you know. 
image of St. Michael, the archangel, you know, putting a spear through the, the devil's back. And of course, you know, he's the uh, patron saint of uh, paratroopers, you know, because again, mm -hmm. he's the, the uh, you know, first one to throw a leftist out of a high place. He's <laughs> 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 a oh. wonderful patron saint to have. You know, he's the first one to throw a leftist out of a, out of, out of a house. First one to forcibly yeah. remove. I like it. So it's like it's a uh, first one to physically remove a leftist. I gotta go with them. <laughs> that's a that's a basis fuck answer, honestly. I can't. <laughs> yeah. That is. Oh. <laughs> okay. Last question. This is a this is something I hear thrown at the paleo praxis post lib people a lot. Uh, are you guys just libertarians with a GOP fetish? Uh, I don't know what to tell you, man. You know, I'm actually going to be successful or you're going to be, <laughs> you know, you're going to be in a box car. So I was like, I don't have a box car fetish and I'm, I, I don't care about being the most principled person. I care about winning. Hmm. Um, I make, I'm making a pass for my, uh, my plate, my, my, I'm going to almost carry you and get a path that says, uh, Prince, it says a box car libertarian. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I started having this meme because uh, there was a uh, debate a while ago with uh, Gene Epstein and uh, Bhaskar Sankara, uh, who was like the uh, good debate. The, yeah, it was a good debate. And it was over like socialism versus capitalism or something mm -hmm. like that. And there was one uh, moment where Gene turns to Bhaskar, he's like, learn some economics, Bhaskar. And <laughs> And I, I, I'm starting to use that a lot more with libertarians, why I call them Baskar. And I say, learn some <laughs> economics, Baskar. And so I just wish that they, you know, they would learn this other side of, you know, you know, praxeology, which they kind of just like to pretend doesn't exist. And it's the source of all of our problems. It's the only thing, mm -hmm. you know, a lack of understanding this is the only thing that's held them back for 70 years. And mm. the, the fact they just don't want to understand this and are just nah, 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 or, or whatever, you know, and they just don't like, want to understand it. If they would just understand this, it really tells you everything you need to know about how to beat the government, how to beat the state at their own game. Yeah. Like, did it, I, I think I saw on a photo once, like Mises literally wrote about like the state wanting the state will exist because of a uh, incentives. Like, he wrote something like a simile. Yeah. I saw it. Like, yeah, they, it's like, and again, it's like you see this with like the three great right writers of libertarian Mises, mm -hmm. Rothbard, and Hoppe. They'll go right up to it, and then they'll, they'll just won't engage with it. <laughs> it's like it's like you're ready to make the correct conclusion mm -hmm. and and just take it to its logical conclusion. Like, come on, man! And, and they just they don't want to do it. And because mm -hmm. the great people, the great thinkers of libertarianism, never went. Uh, uh, and took this actual concept through to its logical conclusion. It's like this is like the other third of economics that mm. you're not engaging with. That you, and if you just did it, it would tell you everything we need to know about what to do, or what to do about it. Mm. And they just don't want they they don't want to engage with it. And I don't know what that is. But I mean, if you, and I, the reason I say it's one third, if you look at the state's normal proportion of the economy, it's about a third. Mm. So. Yeah, I mean, last year was well over half, but <laughs> yeah, it was a you know one shit show every year. Mm. But normally it's right around a third. So mm. if the state is around a third of the economy, and you know, and you can add crime on top of that. It's like, well, okay, let's uh, you know, let's understand that. Let's engage with it, and let's mm -hmm. understand why this thing is here, and what, and you know, see if that can inform us of what to do about it. It does, mm. and that's the anti-tax. And I wish the uh, the uh, yeah, I really do hope the LPMC will help us install a few of these anti-taxes everywhere because yeah. I don't want just one or two. I want tens of thousands. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, there's 20. There's Speaking like, of tens of thousands, uh, what town in Texas is the trad Catholic Liechtenstein going to be established in uh, from Rogue Coyote? 
Uh, Trad Catholic, I don't know. The first Lichtenstein is looking like it's going to be Lockhart, where Buck Johnson is, because he's the first person I really want to put in power. He's the, he the only person who would make me want to leave Florida. Yeah, and uh, the, the, but you know, in Texas, you know, that's probably going to be Lockhart with Buck Johnson. However, the first one, you know, in the United States is probably going to be in Lake County, Florida. The reason being is that's where I'm from. My father is a attorney there, and he's very, very well connected with the local governments in that region, and he's on a first name basis with all of the, you know, city councilor, yeah, the, nice. the city councils, and. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he's known all of them for twenty years. So mm -hmm. it's like it's like if there's a place where I want to, and you know, like I, you know, with one of the uh, you know, uh, not city council, um, county councils, you know, I, I was on a cross country team with her daughter, you know, mm -hmm. for like you know, for for like several years in high school and middle school. So it's like uh, you know, I, you know, they they know me, that and they ha they have they know my family. Mm. And but they have all of the proper connections right there to get it right the first time. And this is where, like, if there's going to be a bug, this is where I'm going to find it is in the implementation. I don't want to get mm. blown. Yeah, I want to get, you know, get, uh, you know, if it's going to blow up in my face, I want to figure that out. Like, you know, where there's yeah. a controlled environment where I can probably recover from it and, yeah. you know, make it better. Whereas if the, uh, if I do it in Texas first, you know, I don't have the connections here and I don't know what, mm -hmm. what, what might go wrong or what might the pit, what the pitfalls might be mm -hmm. or how to re-engineer my sales pitch to properly account for, you know, what the, what unknown incentives there might be. Cause I can't quite think of everything, but I can think of quite, quite yeah. a lot of it, but man, so Lake County, Florida, man, Florida, Florida is going to be set. We got soap is up in one place. We're going to have oh, you yeah. and dad there. And I'm, I'm setting up a group now for the Poe County people. We're going to try to work on Poe County. Florida is going to be set, man. King DeSantis, here we come. And Florida's got, you know, like part of the secret plan, you know, you know involves uh, changing of a certain type of law that Florida's already got that in there. So, and that was going to be the hardest part of the entire plan was getting one kind of law changed. Texas doesn't quite have it yet, so I'm going to have to change that law here. Mm. But Florida's already got it. So at that <laughs> point- Medical marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's medical marijuana. It's exactly it. It's exactly but, uh, what it is. It's all, it's, so, all about, it's all about the plants, man. But yeah, so the uh, but yeah, so I don't even have to do to get, get that law changed before. I can basically just proceed right to you know I can skip that part altogether, and all I have to do is get a few anti-corruption laws and you know professional management standards installed at the state level, and I'm good to go, and 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 get them to raise taxes on me. You know, get I, I'm, I'm going to ask them to raise my taxes. <laughs> and it's like, that's something I think they can manage. Yeah. And they'll probably, and again, it's like the, the sort of tax hike that I don't think even the people are going to, are, are going to, you know, I, I think they'll like it. I don't <laughs> think there's going to be any pushback for it because it ends up being a tax cut. And I mean, it's the anti-tax. So yeah. anytime you raise a, you know, raise a tax that goes into it, you're actually cutting taxes for the future. It's as if you, you, uh, you know, taxed twice as much in one year, so you taxed no, you know none of it in the next year. Mm -hmm. That's effect, that's effectively what you're doing, uh, with because of just the way the anti-tax worked with, with compounding interest, mm -hmm. and you know that's the uh, you know it's like so you're not so even if you raise a tax to fund the anti-tax in your local mm -hmm. uh, municipality, actually you're cutting a tax. Mm -hmm. So it's it, it, just the way it works out. So mm -hmm. last thing. Um... When you said you, when you threatened to raise ballot access to libertarians, to third party in, in Florida, I had people messaging me because they knew you come on the podcast asking me to uh, to push back on you on that, and I had to respond to them. Was no, he's right. Yeah, I'm right. Of yeah, course, you're absolutely right. It's but you know, I, I had 
a few people from the LPNC reach out to me in Florida and they said, and they assured me that was uh, not going to happen, that they were yeah. not good. They had, they were not planning to run anyone of, uh, against DeSantis. And I'm, and I told them, you know, Hey, it's only conditional. I'm only going to do it if you misuse your Liberty. And, mm -hmm. but, and there were a few people in the LPNC <laughs> that were like, Oh, he doesn't have the pull to do that. Actually I do because that, see, this is why I, I tell people about incentives politicians behave their incentives and mm -hmm. all i have to do to in order to get that done walk up to them here's the bill so, see they're not going to work on it by themselves so if i do the yeah. work for them and say here's the bill all you have to do is pass it that's all it takes and because it's mm -hmm. already in their incentives to do they already have the time to do it and they already yeah. have the incentive to do it just to fuck you guys over you know, yeah, and for no other reason than the fuck you guys over. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm ready. For I completely on board with that. Like, mm -hmm. so it's like I don't need pull because to do some to get them to do something that's already in their in their vested interest to do. Uh, mm -hmm. All I have to do is just do the work for them and hand it to them, and mm -hmm. they can manage to pass it. That will not take out effort, and I won't take any money except for whatever it takes me to go to Tallahassee and, you know, spend. The, it's going to cost me the you know the travel time there, the travel money there, and you know maybe a hotel for a few days, and you know maybe some time off of work. But I can afford that. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's like don't test me on this one. I can get that one done. Yeah. Okay. And, and again, the LPMC would know this if they were bothered to understand incentives, yeah. well, you know, I, which is what I talk about. This kind of plays in my point that uh, people in Florida and Texas are just very different when it comes to politics. Because the Florida LPMC was like, yeah, we're not going to throw against the Santas. That's dumb as hell. We can't do that. And every other LNPC from not from Florida and Texas was like, no, we got to want someone against the He's bad on drugs. We're going to want to left this and pull from Nikki Fleet's camp. Trip for them. You this is all about yeah. their egos. It's not really about liberty. They want to create libertarians, not liberty. Look, and I, I, I love my friend Jacob. He's, he, he's, he was on a podcast to do the whole explaining like I'm five Mises caucus strategy. And one of the points he said when I said, why don't this, when it comes to certain issues in your area, work with the GOP if it's already an established presence there. He said, because of the credit. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, he, he, I, I didn't push back on him because he's my friend, but kind of like, he kind of showed his hand a little bit there when it's like, dude, you, 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 yeah, it's not about showed... winning, it's about credit? Come on. Well, I mean, again, it's, you're showing that you value your own principles more than you actually value liberty. And it's like, I, I, it really is telling about what your <laughs> values really are but, you know, versus what you say they are. And this is another thing Mises talks about with, you know, stated, uh, you know, uh, stated idea beliefs versus mm. actual beliefs. Uh, you know, they have their, you know, what they say that their incentives are and what they say they want to do versus what they actually do. You know, that, that shows their real preference. They have stated preference and, and, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, realized, uh, preference or something like that. He has or the real preference, you know, that yeah. actually, or revealed preference. There we go. Revealed preference, you know, which is actually what you did. And, you know, and, and that's a problem that, you know, if, again, I, they don't read enough. They don't read Mises. They don't read Rothbard. They don't I read I would have now made a state. I, I'm yeah. good. I went the Anarchist Handbook. I, had, I went all the lefties. I'm good to go. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, they, yeah, it's all lefties in there. And yeah. or, really, but the, uh, it's like, yeah, they, they don't really want to, re, you know, uh, read the parts that really conflict with it. And when they do read them, they kind of just gloss over it and they don't mm. engage with it. They don't engage with the idea and understand, oh, this actually conflicts with a lot of what I actually believe. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 that's, that, that's my response to a lot of these, you know, LP type libertarians is they care a lot more about creating libertarians than they do creating liberty. And those yeah. are not the same thing. And as a GOP guy, I care I about want, creating liberty. 
I want less libertarians. I don't like any of you fuckers. I want less of you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, again, you know, left libertarians kind of, con you know, if you understand archotropism that, okay, that the state uh, uses chaos, you know, to uh, increase its power by extracting order. The reason for that is, you know, chaos definitionally is a, you know, is an absence of order. So you can think of that econ in economic terms as a shortage of order. Mm. So there, right now there's like chaos, you know, imagine you have an outbreak of chaos and a panic or something like that. Panics, you know, the reason this, and the state is the provider of order. It's an aggressive order provider, aggressive order as a service. That's what the state does. So if you and so if you, if you have an outbreak of chaos, that means now you have a shortage of order, and they say, okay, as payment for us to restore order, we need more power. Mm. That and you're not paying them in money; you're paying them in power. So basically, and that that corrects the shortage, theoretically. And then mm. they, but in there because this is what they get paid to do, they also have an incentive to cause the chaos. So they they they, they always put temporary fixes on it that you know, instead of permanent fixes on it that caused mm. the problem and, you know, the cause, the chaos that allows them to power grab or get paid actually. And mm. this is what archotropism is. It's an economic force. And, you mm. know, so if you understand that, you know, everything on the, you remember have those four quadrants with, you know, left, right, and authoritarian, libertarian. Mm. Well, if you understand that left is chaos and right is order, everything on that left half cause that is chaos is necessarily fuel for the government. So the power grab. So if you say that, okay, I'm a libertarian, meaning I want the bottom half, theoretically, I have, I have a stated preference, stated preference, not a revealed preference, but a stated preference for the bottom half. And I say, I, this is what I want. Therefore, I cannot do the top half, you know, okay, mm -hmm. fair enough. You might be wrong, but fair enough. But, uh, but, but then you say, oh, that, but left and right, that's all the same to me. Like, well, no, because that left half, still causes that's fuel for the top half so mm -hmm. really the only quadrant that's actually consistent with you know real libertarianism is the right it's the right their, their bottom right quadrant so left libertarianism is actually a contradiction in terms because you say you don't want a state but then you do actions that cause the state or mm -hmm. that that raise the demand for the state or, or or give the state an excuse to exist an excuse to power grab so mm. it's like uh, it may is I, I view uh, I view uh, left libertarians as kind of a logical contradiction. There is the only quadrant that re is truly a logical contradiction because, you know, with the top right, you know, if you understand that the right wingers want order and authority is usually counterproductive to order. So, you know, spontaneous, they really want spontaneous order. They really want the bottom right quadrant, which is where most of them are, but you do get a few in the top right. The reason the top right is not quite like the bottom left is because, you know, uh, you know, power is the only thing that can, you know, fight back against power. So if you have the top left, you know, which is like the authoritarian lefties, which is where most of the lefties actually are, mm. you know, power is actually a rational response to uh to uh you know the aggressive left you know or mm -hmm. the or the top left quadrant so you know it's like i can see why you would rationally be a top right sort of guy you know monarchy sort of guy it's a rational response to the top left authoritarian dictatorship of the of the top left so mm -hmm. it's like it, it's it's not quite as irrational or counterproductive as the uh as the bottom left quadrant is Although it still kind of is counterproductive to its own ends. You really want just the, if you're a right winger, you really only should want the bottom right quadrant, not the top right quadrant. Because you know, top, again, authority is usually counterproductive to, 
the ends of liberty unless you're at the top left <laughs> which is like the worst because mm -hmm. that's not because at least with the top right you're enforcing order which is something <laughs> you kind of want you know and that order it, you know again Mises is a subset of Carlyle Carlyle being all about order Mises being all about yeah. liberty and the uh so at least if you have order you can kind of have uh you can have uh, a Misesian liberty which is why monarchy produced way more uh liberty for the, the people than any other form of you know authoritarian government you know, again, it's more, not maximum. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think Hoppe's uh, anarcho-covenant idea is still, you know, true. It's still more. That would be more. That that would be better than the uh, than a monarchy. But <clears throat> that is not what we have right now. Mm -hmm. And but uh, what we have right now is the top left authoritarian, and uh, we we'd like to move away from that. And the uh, so it's like the, the the top right just it's not as irrational. Or and uh, just logically contradictory as the bottom left. Mm. So if you say you want, if you say you want left wing chaos, you know, and they don't say they want chaos, but this is in fact exactly what that leads to. If you say you want liberty, but you're creating chaos, uh, that's absolutely yeah. a contradiction. It's like you can't. This it's like saying I don't want a forest fire, but I'm like dropping gasoline everywhere in the mm -hmm. forest, and you know, in, on the forest fire, you're you're actively making the problem worse. So it's like, uh, this is not going to work out for you. So that, like this, you know, this is inherently contradictory. It's the only quadrant that really is that way. Mm. We've covered a lot of topics. Mm. I, I've, I've learned a lot and I understand, I, I understand how much I don't understand about, uh, uh, uh again, archotropism. It's an economic force. You yeah. start with the understanding that this is that, you know, the first law is your law of supply. The reason mm -hmm. and the reason is it's a, uh, you know, the, the reason that its value is relative because uh, the value, again, is the value of my predation against you is relative to your ability to defend yourself against me. Mm -hmm. So, again, it's a, and that and that you see that in the second law, which is like the basic of the law of demand for predation. And this it's a different way of thinking. But this is all the economics. All of archotropism is economics. It just has an appearance of thermodynamics, mm. which is yeah. very interesting that it just happened to be that way. Mm. But yeah, I, I'm an econo I'm going to school to get, get an economics degree, so I'm hoping though once I get more, I'm get more in economics. So like, I can start drawing better conclusions. It'll click with you. But, yeah. Like, and the more you think about it, the more it will make sense. I noticed the more, that the more the more podcasts I watch on, the more I'm like, okay, I could start like I've started, I've started using it in some of my arguments, and I'm like, it's, it's starting to make sense. When you start to, to see that, and you are, just look at the left, that because remember, you, you really when you love something means you really understand it. Mm -hmm. They have such a love for power, so mm -hmm. when they talk about how it actually works, believe <laughs> them. And yeah. this is where that comes from, is because they really understand the value system of power, mm -hmm. and this is where I got it from was watching them empathizing with them trying to uh, you know put myself in their shoes and really learning to love my neighbor that's really what that was speaking of looking at the left love your uh, <laughs> yeah. speaking, love of looking, <laughs> speaking of looking at the left hopefully it looks uh, you're available i'm trying to see if pete's available we're going to try to do that um, live reaction to what mark's got right by hopper what's it be uh, i've watched it i think i watched it three times now i love it it's love hopper yeah i when I first saw it, I'm like, how is it this long? And I watched it, like, oh, it makes sense. He's not it's, wrong. That's the problem yeah. is that, yeah, but basically the, the uh, you yeah, know, when, when uh, Mises started it all, there was a big uh, jump 
from uh, you know Mises to Rothbard, which is basically where the LPMC is. You know, they they've you know they're not really the Misesians, they are the Rothbardians, they are the Rothbard caucus, not really the Mises caucus. Uh, but you know, the the bigger jump was from you know Rothbard to Hoppe. You know, because Hoppe basically proved, you know, in getting libertarianism right, why libertarianism basically has to be a right wing ideology. I can prove it in about two seconds with my you know archotropism, you know, but again, it's like the the jump from you know me to Hoppe, yeah, from Hoppe to me is actually not that big. Yeah. It's really, really small, actually, because they, again, they walk right up to it and then they just don't engage with it. And I, you know, I was like, oh, actually, I'm going to engage with this and mm. we're going to talk about it and we're going to have that uncomfortable conversation. Have, last question. I keep saying last question, mm-hmm. but I keep having things I want to ask. ask uh, have you read Against the Left by Lou Rockwell? No, I have not. I highly recommend it. It's Lou, in my opinion, it's Lou Rockwell's best book. Um, it not only is it based as hell because like has some has some like waspod quotes against feminism, where it's mm-hmm. like, uh, you say men will never understand, but if we'll never understand, why do you keep talking? <laughs> like it just has some really great like waspod Hopper, Lou Rockwell quotes against uh, egalitarianism and leftism, and it has a whole chapter on left libertarians. Okay, and it's, it's amazing. I think I. I got it yesterday and I finished it immediately. Like I sat down, but I did not get up. I just oh, it's it short. It. Yeah, it's um. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there we go. Very, oh, okay. Yeah, it's just a, just like basically an essay. Pretty much, it's, it's, it's a bunch of essays. It's like a compilation. It's it's so good. So I highly. Look. I'm doing a podcast on uh, end of the month, and it's gonna be it's gonna be great. It's gonna be, I'm hoping to I'm gonna tag a bunch of left libertarians. Like, this is why you guys Ooh. suck. <laughs> I'm gonna tag them, and then, conflict does not help us. It's no. like it's like I've kind of learned that, and uh, why I have the the best reputation of you know the Praxians <laughs> is that I'm not I'm pretty conflict diverse. I try mm-hmm. not to and get to uh, be provocative. I try not to. Yeah, you know, be insulting or demeaning unless you're a lawbird and you come at me and then I respond there's, to you. But so many times I, I've I've typed out a tweet and then deleted it. Oh, that happens to me all the time. Where I'm like, <sighs> I'm better off not saying this. Yeah, and, I, I used to not be like that. <laughs> yeah, the the uh, the one uh, uh you know book that I'm going to be uh, doing a you know podcast on is how to win friends and influence people. It has nothing to do with mm. libertarianism, but it's basically like the Machiavellians but for autism. <laughs> you know, the way Machiavellians so is for, for uh you know for libertarians and how much of a revolution of thinking that is uh how to win friends and influence people by dale carnegie is a book that mm. truly changed my life for the better and you know you you know i would you read that one 10 times before i picked up one rothbard book in terms of the value it will have for your life and just mm. making you a better person more successful everything and it looks like we have one more uh oh, comment you know is. popular liberty if i wanted to better understand everything you've been talking about lately where would i start with archotropism and strategy it's a lot to follow when i don't have as much time to follow everything uh basically i'm the only source for it right now unfortunately the libertarian thinkers really uh they didn't get into it they they brushed up past it many times where they just talk you know kind of went right up to it talking about mm-hmm. it and then didn't engage in it and so as far as i know i'm the only one to ever engage with it you know hoppa kind of engages with it a little bit but not really not the way i do you know whereas like, <clears throat> you know he does it it's kind of as a tangent in passing you mm-hmm. know and where he's trying to make a different point and if you're not looking for it you won't notice it and so as if you're trying to understand uh what i've been talking about 
Uh, I would, you know, th again, I'm the only source for it right now. So you, you would have to go to my, my talks, maybe with, uh, uh, Pete Canones or Mark Claire. I did another one, uh, with Sal, the agorist on my channel about, you know, where I really got into the economics of it, you know, cause I started with basically the conclusions. I decided to do it that way because again, people don't really understand economics, even though they're libertarians. Yeah. So I started there, uh, you know, with just the conclusions to just understand that this is what, what it does. And this is like, like the thermodynamics side of it, which is where I started with it. That, that the reason being is that way I don't have to explain the economics to people. I can just give them the conclusions and show them mm -hmm. the examples of why this is the way it is. And then give them a basic understanding of why it is the way it is, mm -hmm. rather than getting into the full economics or praxeology of it. And with uh, Sally Agris, I did get into the praxeology of it, though. And I got mm -hmm. for every single law, you got the the reason why this thing is that, you know, based on economics, yeah, gave you a little bit of an example. The definition again of archotropism of why the state is able to extract power, or you know, from you know, extracting order from chaos. The reason being is because you know, chaos is a shortage of order. It is the mm -hmm. supplier of order in the in the classical liberal sense. So anytime there's a panic, that that means there's an outbreak of chaos. That means there's a shortage of order, and you pay them to restore order in power. And you know, the, and the, the uh, first law is basically that's your basically your law of supply equivalent mm -hmm. for predation. Yeah, where it has value, that's why I do it, and to the and I do it to the extent that it has value, and or to the degree that it has value, and the, you know the second one is your law of demand, you know where, where basically to the extent you're a weak pussy, that's the extent you're going to get a uh, you know get predated upon, mm. and third law is basically the idea that you know all that yeah you know, it's you know it's something every Misesian should understand that you know, the, the value of everything is subjective. That includes the value of power. The value, the third law is that the value of power is subjective. Yeah. I mean, including me subject to time preference as well and subjective to all preferences. Mm -hmm. And fourth law is basically that time and uh, it's that, uh, you know, power itself. I define power as, uh, you know, force over distance and time. What that's telling you is that the value of power power is constrained by time and space. So in other words, time and space, time and distance, as I call it, is a, uh, these are costs to power. Logistics is a cost to power. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I have one video on, you know, on that exact topic about war with China and doing a geopolitics, and doing a geopolitics analysis using the fourth law, showing why logistics are, a cost to power and, you know, and applying that to war, you know, a potential war with China between mm. the U S and China. So that'd be a, a place I, if I was, you know, you want to know about the fourth law, uh, and why logistics, you know, again, time and distance, time and space are cost to power that, you know, that war with China video on my channel is a really good one for the fifth law. That's basically based on the law of diminishing returns. And the idea, the, uh, again, the idea of diminishing returns is that, you know, as the, uh, you, as the more you do, of a, uh, the more you do an action, the less value is, is going to end up having less marginal value is going to end up having, you know, that, that marginal value diminishes in, uh, over time. Like if you eat a candy bar, you know, what's the value of the first candy bar versus the third candy bar, you know, it's like that by mm -hmm. the time you get to the third one, you just, it's not the same. It's not doing it for you anymore. And the, uh, that's the law of diminishing returns. The, the power has an equivalent thing where, you know, the, the fifth law of archotropism is basically the second law of thermodynamics verbatim that, you know, the, uh, you know, all power is subject to entropy and accumulates entropy or chaos over time. And the reason for this is that the, uh, you know, it, it, that when you set up a power order because it's not responsive to 
the uh, to really consumer demand at all. You know, it re- it's or has very very limited demand. Yeah, uh, you know, a re- very limited response to what the consumers actually want because again, it has two demand functions and it can go by either one, and it prefers the latter one. You know, where mm-hmm. it it prefers not to be responsive to customers <laughs> uh, that it wants. So it basically, when it's established, you know, basically it's the same thing, and then the rest of society changes, all the technology changes, the wealth of society changes, but this thing stays the same. So it's like eventually what you end up with is a order that was made for one time in one place and one you know set of incentives that just no longer exists anymore. And this is why you know it just it loses value over time because it's just not good and it's not what you need at this time anymore. It doesn't fit the society anymore. This is mm. Bretton Woods. So and <laughs> the, uh, so that basically that you know your your value of a power order diminishes over time. And, you know, and that's, that's your, basically your law of diminishing returns. So mm. in the sixth law of archotropism is based on pent up demand. So what happens when you, when you have like a, you know, a price floor or something like that, or a price ceiling, you know, or effective price floor or, or effective pricing is you get a, a pent up demand or pent up supply and the market can't correct, the market can't hit equilibrium, it can't uh, clear. And so when you accumulate that over time, Let's say you have a shortage of 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 uh, order for a really really long time, which by the way those usually get corrected very very quickly. You know, so what what will ha- end up happening is that there, you have such a demand pent up for order that it you know usually explodes very violently. This is mm-hmm. something that you know when you have like a uh, you know like let's say uh, oh like World War One because you'd had you know fifteen hundred years of relative peace with uh, Christianity and, and mm-hmm. Christian monarchy, you had such an accumulation of wealth in society that was very, very abnormal for human history, you know, in the broad, in a very broad sense that, mm. you know, the, ima- the amount of accumulated wealth we had was very abnormal. And so again, if you understand that order and chaos, these are mutually exclusive. So when any, so anytime the right really overreaches, that the left is going to turn reactionary and get violent, <coughs> and they're going to want the chaos. So eventually, you have the right overreach for like 15 centuries, and by overreach, I mean you know created all of human progress. So mm-hmm. the uh, you know created human civilization as we know it. So that that was the right overreaching, and eventually you, that concludes in you know uh, World War One and World War Two, where we you know have all this wealth, and now we can do industrialized warfare and. Uh, Though the left, you know, gets rid of the monarchies and replaces them with uh, republics, which are far more violent, and they get to have a chaos binge in two world wars right off the bat. And mm. you see this every election, where you know, once the uh, the right wins and they start implementing their policies and start shifting everything back to it, and then the very next election in the midterms, the left will t- will the uh, will take it, and the same thing, exact thing happens where. You have one party that will, you know, get in power and then start overreaching, and then the very next election, boom, the other mm-hmm. party will take the power. And again, it's because the, you know, what what you have with the uh, an election system is a very imprecise uh, uh, price system where, you know, it's basically if you imagine the curve, you know, it's like it's a mm-hmm. parabolic curve that, you know, where profit maximum is kind of at the top of the parabolic curve. 
Well, because you can't exactly hit that, you have to go over and then over and then over. What you get is a consecutive cycle of either the mm. right is having a pent up demand for order or the left is having pent up demand for chaos. And, mm. you know, and they're getting pissed and getting reactionary. And this is what pent up demand looks like when you have mm. order and chaos are mutually exclusive. And mm. this is, you know, and this is where the sixth law of archotropism comes from that, you know, an overreach from one side demands an overreach from the other side. And this is due to pent, due to the, the forces of pent up demand. This is why I say the, the sixth law of archotropism is a really explosive one because <laughs> it usually is explosive. <laughs> and, mm. you know, all, you know, sometimes quite literally. And <laughs> that's the economic analysis of uh, economics or the praxeology, I should say, behind archotropism. And it, you know, again, that and that that I'm probably that, gonna clip that entire like right there and just put that out. It was a separate video. Yeah, and that, yeah was, that was great. Yeah, that sixth law of archotropism. Remember, for, you know, from thermodynamics, for every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. Right there, for every overreaction of one side, there is a, there de, there is demanded an equal and opposite overreaction of the other side. Mm. It demands it, and it, it's not necessarily going to supply it, but it mm. does demand it, and it will happen eventually. It will get supplied eventually because it does get mm. pent up. So, this has been the longest podcast I've ever done. Um, Me too. Wait, awesome! Look at us doing great long podcasts. It's because we're mm. Catholic and we know how to set up. <laughs> we just keep going. Um, where can people find you? What are your plugs? You can find me at Popular Liberty on Twitter and. You may or may not get a response from me. If you definitely want to get a response from me, you should go to the uh, <clears throat> to the Popular Liberty Supporting Listeners Group at subscribe star slash popular dash liberty and sign up. I have a uh, <clears throat> you know a, a supporting listeners group where I do a, you know a, you know AMAs there. I do I do a uh, you know you know share a lot of means. I, I'm very very responsive in there, and you can ask me any question, and I won't make fun of you. And I will give you a real answer, you know, usually very, very long. So if you want to, and if you want to read any of my articles, I've written articles on narcotropism and the anti-tax, and those are on my subscribe star right now. And you can read those. They're about five pages each. And the, I'll be putting up another one on our, on the uh, archotropism part two uh, later where I'm talking, going through the economics of each, of each, of each idea. The first archotropism is a good, you know, five pages, a good three thousand ish words, and the uh, you're about to get part two uh, dropping in maybe a week or two, and you know, which will go you know kind of continue on. I'm going to go through the uh, you know that te you know, that five minutes where I'm explaining all of archotropism and the economics. Mind, mm -hmm. I'm going to be doing that in great detail on the on these articles. There's so much to read. You libertarian I people. I just bought all. It's, I got all these books to read over here, and you're like, I'm gonna put on my my, my multi-page uh, series on powers. Like, oh yeah. I want to read it, and I'm gonna end up reading it. I'm gonna I'm gonna be on my phone reading. I'm gonna look at my books. I'm gonna be like, I paid for that, but this is this is better. But yeah, the best way the best way to get any information out of me is to pay me for it. So uh, <laughs> yeah, subscribe star slash popular liberty and. That's the uh, best way, and I will. And for anyone in the power broker elites, I will be doing a one-time, you know, uh, explanation of the GOP strategy. That's that's the, at the seventeen dollar a month level. If you're in there, I will be. Uh, you know, you will get an invite to the uh, to the GOP strategy when I when I outlet. You know, I lay it out to the uh, rest of the Praxians. You know, as I mentioned earlier in the show. And it will not be posted anywhere, and I will not put it in the in the group after la later. So I'm, I'm you're either in there when it. it happens, which is probably going to be in a week or two, 
or, or you never get to know. So, or you'll find out when everybody else does never. <laughs> it's like, you know, maybe in like two decades after I'm done, you know, mopping the floor with the government or getting them to mop the floor with themselves, really, because this is the Gideon mm. strategy, you know, and how I go about doing that using their own incentives against them and weaponizing all of that, you'll find out in two decades. So you're either there in two weeks or you're there or you find out in two decades when I'm done. <laughs> so, or you can okay. just obey orders until then, because that will, that will result in liberty. We will get to a private property society and the government's going to go along with it. Oh, yeah. So. Okay, guys. It's been another episode of the Catholic. Li- well, sorry. Sorry. <clears throat> Catholic Praxian Book Club. Uh, read more books. Join to meet the COP and continue to hate the left. Yeah.